0: Hey folks, Morgan here. Before we get into this episode, I just want to let you know that there's a fair amount of discussion about sexual assault and abuse in this episode, so if that's something you don't want to listen to for any reason, please feel free to skip this episode. Absolutely no hard feelings. With that said, Michael, you want to take us into the show?
1: Do you hear that sound? That is the sound of the waves crashing against a bay, but not just any bay. It's a Baywatch, because this is a Baywatch podcast. In fact, this is Baywatch Rookie School, a podcast for two men who have never watched Baywatch before. Try and watch Baywatch. I'm Michael Eisen.
0: And I'm Morgan Thrapp.
1: And we don't normally know how to lead into a podcast.
0: No, we don't. We're getting better at it, though. Getting better. We're
1: getting, we're getting better. But my hope is that we'll never actually figure it out, and it'll always be that like one thing we're always trying to grasp for. And then, like at the end of this show, we finally get that one life lesson, and it teaches us, "Oh, that's how <laughs> you start a podcast." Then we're like, "Well, crap, we're done now."
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just have to wait until the podcast episode of Baywatch. Uh, I wonder <laughs> if that's the Baywatch movie.
1: Ooh, could be. I wonder if they have a, a podcast in that. I bet they probably do. We should watch that at some point. Yeah. Uh, I did look up that canonically the movie should kind of, well, not like canonically, but it has characters that are introduced until like season six or something. Um, so maybe we should wait until like season six to re- review this movie.
0: Yeah. got to make sure we don't have any spoilers for the show.
1: I mean, God forbid they, uh, I think the 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 plot is different from the show. Uh, Granted, I don't know how you would why you would pick a movie uh, about Baywatch and pick a single episode's plot. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. know. Um, But Morgan, we have quite a whopper of an episode this week.
0: Oh, boy,
1: do we. So, Morgan, we do have some. Some little stuff to talk about before we get into this episode. Because this is, again, a doozy of an episode. So this episode was written by Jill Donner and William Schwartz. Now, Jill has written a few episodes for us before. She wrote Second Wave, which you remember was after Heat Wave. So Mm -hmm. Second Wave was the episode where Eddie's lifelong friend comes in and just gets all cartoony villainy. Uh, Jill wrote that episode. Uh, She's also a producer Mm. on 12 episodes of this season. Uh, So she she she's been around the Baywatch block, as we call it.
0: Her having written Second Wave makes a lot of sense to me because, boy, do I see a lot of parallels between the villains in these episodes. Yeah, uh, she has a type
1: uh, and that's unfortunate. Yeah. Now, as for William Schwartz, William Schwartz uh, wrote a few episodes. He writes more this season than Jill does but he wrote the drowning pool the drowning pool was the one where the it was the Jill centric episode mm-hmm. uh, and so he wrote that and he also produced a bunch of episodes he produced about twelve episodes um, well actually he was a who was a producer on twelve and then he was a supervising producer on nine episodes what that really means I have no clue but um, you know he he and Jill have sort of been around since our our first episode, not our pilot movie, but our first episode. So they're kind of Baywatch mainstays at this point. New to the fold is director Tommy Lee Wallace. No relation to Tommy Lee Jones, a completely different (laughs) person because they have a different family name and that's how that works. Uh, This episode was originally aired November 24th, 1989. Now uh, a few bits of trivia here. Um, There is an obvious bit of trivia. I'm going to leave that one last. So our first bit of trivia is that this is the last appearance in the podcast of Jandy Swanson as Jenny Drake. Boo. Yes, this is the last appearance of Jenny Drake in Baywatch. Uh, So that is unfortunate. Secondly, there is a character called Todd in this episode. He is not named in the show, but He is the guy who wears the cool shades and the really cool outfit. (laughs) Now, you must be wondering. God, his name is Todd. It's Todd with one D. It's very specific. He is the most Todd Todd I've ever seen. Exactly. Now, you must be wondering, who is this super cool Todd guy? Well, do not worry. He will get his story payoff in season eight. (laughs) Do not worry. (laughs) Because Todd comes back by, with the same actor wow. in season eight. Wow. Yeah. Some pretty impressive long-term storytelling by Baywatch. No kidding. So two more bits of trivia. Uh, there's a character in this show, in this episode, uh, called Tom Logan, and he is played by a virtual nobody named Brian Cranston.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and I just thought he was good in this role, but I don't see him ever becoming anything. But oh, yeah. you know, I just wanted to point out his acting ability.
0: Yeah, no, it's funny. You check his IMDb page, and I mean, really, he did basically nothing after this. Yeah, he mostly he mostly starred in like uh, you know Japanese
1: geisha dramas, mm-hmm. uh, but he didn't really do too much else. And I just really wanted to see more super in depth character roles, such as guy who runs party boats and drinks.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you look at if you look at his career arc up to now, you would say he was almost in the middle. But I mean, I guess. I guess he was just bad and never broke in.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um
0: I have I know no other Ryan Cranston references to continue this joke. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. Those are my two. I've never even seen Malcolm in the Middle, so I can't even like expand what? there. Okay, well, we'll forgive you for that. Now,
1: <laughs> our last bit of trivia is one I did far too much research on. And that is on the actor Stephen Eckelt uh, can't pronounce that, Eccolt. Uh, And he plays Andrew Garrison in this episode, who is basically our villain. His career is pretty interesting. After this show, it was pretty stagnant for a few years. 1992, he had this, in quotes, big role in this show called Grapevine. Grapevine is notable in that it is the primary stylistic influence for the first season of Sex in the City. Because in the first season of Sex in the City, they do a very distinct interview style. So they will cut to a person, they will kind of be doing their own thing around town, and they'll be asking them like they'll be off screen asked a question and they'll respond to it. Well, just, you know, going about their day and they'll all be sort of connected to the overall narration of what's the theme of the episode is. And that comes from grapevine. Um, Now, after the first season, they mostly ditched that style uh, in favor of more um, direct narration from uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. But this style of interviewing really set, Sex and the City apart. Additionally, Grapevine and Sex and the City shared a producer. So they had that like link. So once Sex and the City got really popular, CBS was looking to, well, what are shows kind of similar to Sex and the City that we could possibly air? And CBS decided, well, why don't we bring back Grapevine? They decided to move Stephen Eckholt from like secondary or tertiary main character to main character. The problem was that this was in the year 2000, and in 2000, this style had already been done over and over and over, and people Mm -hmm. were pretty tired of it. While it was the first of its kind in 1992, critics just weren't into it then, so it was canceled. So the first season of Great Vibe was maybe six episodes are eight episodes, and the second season was five episodes. Ugh. So yet again canceled. And about a year later, no, yeah, a year or two later, he had another starring role in the TV show My Big Fat Greek Life, which was based off of my Big Fat Greek Wedding. But it also failed pretty badly because there were a lot of TV show sitcoms that were based around like in quote sitcommy movies. Uh and my big fat Greek wedding was a huge success, but uh, Nia Vardalos it was kind of a one-hit wonder there, and it just didn't really translate. Mm-hmm. So most of the rest of his career are, he had a few bit roles in Friends, and then The West Wing.
0: Okay, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. That explains why he looked so familiar. I did not look him up, but yeah. I've seen both of those shows, so. Yeah, he was
1: in like six episodes of Friends, and I think he's in like 12 episodes of The West Wing. Um, but his most recent episode, bigger role was uh in the last decade was he was in like eight episodes of the L-word. Um not the re not the the redo of the L-word, but the original L-word. So his career is pretty interesting. Like he's got a lot of connections to a lot of big people. This is pretty early on in his career, but it really fizzled. Uh and I we're gonna have lots of thoughts. I like his performance in this episode, but I It comes with some complicated feelings.
0: I have a lot of thoughts about his performance in this episode and a lot of this episode. Yes. Uh, But
1: that is for later. Uh, Now we shall start, if you'd like to, Morgan. Yeah. That's what actually happens.
0: Let's uh, dive right into it. Boo. (laughs) We open on a wedding party on a speedboat. The guy driving the boat is Brian Cranston, Captain Logan, who is just chilling, drinking what I think is supposed to be a beer, but I'm not totally sure. It's never a beer. I really say one way or the other, but, but it's, it's totally a beer, just like as we get to know him as a character. Oh, yeah. Um, and he's just kind of driving the boat and not super paying attention, and the bride falls off the side of the boat into the water, and the rest of the boat... Just doesn't give a fuck. But luckily, Trevor's right there. So he runs in and saves her and pulls her out of the water. Yeah,
1: this uh, this is a weird introduction. Yes. Um, A a few things to keep of importance here. One is this is kind of defined as a powerboat. Uh, throughout the episode, which signifies our never-ending battle against things with power as a prefix, you know, Mm -hmm. power skis, power boat. Um, But the episode is called Cruise Ship, and this is not a cruise ship.
0: Yeah, you know, that's a good point. This is too small. I hadn't thought about that until you mentioned it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's way too small to be a cruise ship.
0: Yeah. Secondly
1: is, they never fully address this, but his shirt... Is his he has a shirt for his own business, and on it it says Logan's Party Animals, uh, <laughs> and I wish instead he had called it Logan's Heroes, so we oh. could have done a Hogan's Heroes spinoff. Yes. That would have been amazing, but sadly we don't get that. We don't get that. But this scene, uh, I was expecting uh, this to be more of a Trevor centric episode from this scene but but it's really not it gets some good trevor stuff but not as much as i'd
0: like yeah he's only in maybe i don't know four or five more scenes in this whole thing and yeah it's pretty minor in all of this um yeah i agree like normally whoever the establishing shot of the episode is on is who the episode focuses on uh but not in this case i guess yeah i guess they decide to
1: subvert us with you know literary twists
0: Mm mm-hmm Yeah, I'm sure that's definitely what happened. Yes. (laughs) Thank you, Jill Donner. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Next up, we've got a scene of Shawnee and Eddie are on the beach, and they're talking about their dates. And Shawnee is trying to make Eddie jealous by bragging up her new boyfriend, Andy. And then she's, you know, in the middle of trying to make Eddie jealous, or at least that's how it reads to me. When all of a sudden she's like, oh, by the way, all of us are going to a party and I want you to make sure that my boyfriend is comfortable at the party by talking to him and including him in the group. And it just it felt a little like, hey, maybe be nice to Eddie if you're going to ask him for a favor. But it, you know, well, we'll see how it ends up playing out. This this scene, I
1: feel like it. For me, I feel like there's a lot of importance on what happens very early in this scene, which is the focus on Eddie as a character who deals with things he doesn't like to talk about, which we've heard a lot about in this show. Like, we've seen this time and a time again that he is not great when it comes to embracing his feelings or anything that makes him feel awkward. Mm -hmm. So when... She asks him about his date and he's all open about it. Sure, whatever. Uh, but she brings up Andy and his immediate response is, "Who's Andy?" And he clearly knows. Yeah. Uh, and he keeps on saying, "Like I can't place her face." Uh, and eventually, what gets him is she says something that makes him very jealous, mm-hmm. or which is, "Oh, he's like six foot three. and he says he can't be more than six feet. And this is our our first i guess guy or uh, guide into that eddie is <laughs> very very jealous mm-hmm. uh and he will he will half the time think with his head but also the other half of the time think with his dick mm-hmm. uh, but uh he when when asked if he would help andy out he's Stands in great consternation. Uh, he does not know how to handle this. He does not know if he should really help out. He doesn't know what someone does, and we know he's socially awkward. Ever since the pilot movie, we've known he was awkward. In the first three
0: seconds, oh we yeah, like, that's true.
1: We were like, "Who is this?" really awkward silent dude who looks like he should be in an 80s goth punk band uh
0: the one other time we've seen him at a party he went swimming and then immediately left and ignored shawnee's attempts to talk to him exactly
1: or hit on him Mm -hmm. even and then we've watched him try and hit on women and one or two times it went well uh, one time he was cock-blocked by Captain Thorpe, the other time he was cock-blocked by Fred, mm-hmm. and actually the third time he was cock-blocked by Trevor. Yep. Uh, and so he is constantly this socially awkward character, and I think that's really important for what we're going to talk about later in the episode.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's there's some good character growth for Eddie in this episode, which kind of sucks that this is the like backdrop for that, but you know... Here we are. There's a little bit more to that scene, which is basically we see Trevor bringing the bride back onto the beach, out of the water, and the party boat just, like, speeding off in the background, and he's kind of hitting on the bride, which felt a little weird. But that's Trevor for you. Yeah, as we'll find out later in the episode, he was indeed hitting on her.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, of course he did. That's my boy.
0: Ugh. But also, I don't support this. Yeah, it's, it's skeezy. This whole episode yep. feels very skeezy. Yes. Um, Then we're at the party. It's party time. It is hopping. Oh, yeah. Craig and Gina, it's their apartment. So they are playing the host. And by they, I mean Gina. Well, Craig follows (laughs) her around and tells her that her chicken balls don't taste like chicken um, and makes other people try them and confirm that they don't taste like chicken. When I was watching this scene, that was when I texted you
1: morgan this could be the greatest episode of television (laughs) of all time (laughs) because
0: this scene scene that did it
1: (laughs) yes yes because i was like what is this fucking wacky scene here yeah why is why is our goddess jill donner and our god william schwartz writing a scene about a party and feeling the need to just talk about chicken balls. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I time the scene. It's a minute and a half and, uh, about 70 seconds of that. 90 seconds is talking about chicken balls.
0: Yep. Which also they're not round and they just look like strips of unseasoned, like broiled chick, not even broiled, like boiled chicken. I,
1: I just assumed they were like, you know, veggie nuggets.
0: But yeah, Craig and Gina go around the party, making everyone try the chicken balls, and every (laughs) single person they make try it has a different, just absolutely hysterical guess about what it could be instead of chicken, while Craig throws snide looks at Gina. I actually thought this scene was funny. but It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I have low standards. Okay,
1: (laughs) sure. Let's just get that out now
0: it just felt so sitcomy like right but but it feels sitcomy but it feels
1: lived in and that's what i love this I episode guess. feels like these are actual like putting the content of this episode aside i can put aside for a moment that i am watching uh you know people who have only had 8 episodes to get to know these characters that's true they feel like people who have been either acting this role for years or that it's like a real fictional universe that has lots of background like i this they just feel real to me and look don't ruin any of my childhood (laughs) don't ruin my life this is my thing, and I need it to stay sane. <laughs> okay, if I don't have Baywatch, I have nothing. This mm-hmm. is my bullet ball. Okay,
0: yeah, Baywatch—the show from your childhood that we just started watching two months ago—is my bullet ball. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Look up bullet ball if you've never seen it to oh, our yes. to our oh, listening audience. It is a sad yet hilarious series of events.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, it's sure something. Uh, at this point, speaking of sad, uh, Mitch shows up and (laughs) Gina and Craig tease Mitch about how his date's not there and how, and he says, Oh, you know, my date just has the flu and it's, it's really going around. She's got a fever and I didn't even think I was going to make it. And he tosses a bottle of generic alcohol to Craig and then goes to talk to Jill and Eddie. And both of their dates also have the flu. Mm -hmm. Oh, that part was left out
1: of my version.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It it literally has him
1: walking away and going, hey. And then uh, Craig going, veal?
0: And then scene ends. Oh, no, there's a little bit more here. Um, The important bit is we get some setup for Andy later in the episode which is that Shawnee and Andy are kind of like off in a corner by themselves and like half flirting sort of. And then Uh Andy is like, we should go dance. And Shawnee goes, no, you know, it's not really the vibe. No one else is dancing. And he goes, no, no, we're dancing. We'll make it the vibe. And like pulls her out onto the floor and they start dancing. And she's like looking around super awkward. And then he kind of like leans in and grab and like gropes her a little bit. And then she, like, half-teasing, half-flirting slaps him, but it's, you know... What? Oh, yeah, just, like, on the shoulder, like, light tap kind of thing, not, like... Oh, okay,
1: okay. I was very worried that there is an edit that severely changes the mood of
0: this episode. No, 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 no. No, it was, like, at that point, if I didn't have my suspicions, I would have been like, oh, it's just like cute flirting, like, oh, he hee, stop it kind of thing, which I mean, still isn't great, but is like more excusable in the time period. Um, uh, well, it's more excusable than what happens later. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But yeah, that's pretty much the rest of this scene. Um, Mitch is convinced that the chicken balls are made of cheese. Um <laughs> Just, it's know, such
1: a great story. It's the D story <laughs> is what are these chicken balls? And I'm like, God, I got to <laughs> know now. <laughs> I just wanted them to be round. That's all. Yeah. I- look, a ball is round. This is a stick.
0: Mm-hmm. Next up, we've got a quick scene where Hobie is back at the apartment with Mitch. They're having breakfast and Hobie's waiting for Jenny to pick him up. And now that she likes him, he cannot stand her uh, Mm -hmm. because that's how that works.
1: He is uh, I I, multiple times in in my notes, I use the word Chad and hope he's being a Chad in this scene. He's being an alpha Chad and (laughs) he he is all about the fact that he's like not like women are icky, but that he didn't realize that. Being in a "in quotes" relationship means that someone is going to want to be around you, mm-hmm. and that you're going to like do stuff together. And he wants space to himself. And Mitch is having so much fun with oh yeah, figuring out his son, and like it it endears me to Mitch. Like he's being a good dad and giving his son advice, but he's also just like, oh, I'm so happy you're figuring this stuff out. Yeah. Uh,
0: and, like, it's, again, feels lived in. I, it I does. My big complaint with this whole plot line is that both Hobie and Jenny are very clearly written by adults because they talk like they're 30 in this entire oh, episode. Yeah. Oh, well, there is one specific
1: line later oh, on in yes. the episode that mm-hmm. I was just like, okay, yeah, this was written by an adult. But also, like, I like that I, I don't know i I guess I can genre shift and not hate it, yeah um, but that's also not good literature to genre shift like that, but I'm just watching the show to for something fun and something yeah. enjoyable and a genre shift to me is fun and enjoyable and having little kids talk like they're like grown ups going through some sort of like end of arc on like general hospital or something mm-hmm. just just I enjoy it. Yeah.
0: Uh, no. To be clear, I don't think it's that bad. It just it, this episode especially stuck out to me. as like, oh, these kids are written by adults who don't have kids of their own and haven't interacted with kids in a while. I feel like that's part of
1: the thing. I don't I don't want to shit on Jill Donner and William Schwartz's writing <laughs> that much, but clearly there are tropes to these writers mm-hmm. in the way that they are writing. And I feel like this is the perfect combination of Jill and William's writing in that it just feels like all of their care, like, cause remember with Eddie in second wave, he had to grow up like a lot over the course of a 40 minute episode. And Jill had to, you know, be a person because she wasn't a person before. <laughs> uh, and all of a sudden they've now like, personality aged Toby into I had a temporary girlfriend and this is the third episode. She's my girlfriend and now I'm already sick of it and I got to deal with it. It's all got to be about relationships this episode. Um, yeah, it feels I'm on par with their writing. Um, but let's move on to the more important stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Next up, we've got, uh, we've got a shower scene um, Ooh. where, Ooh. Shawnee is mad at Eddie that Eddie, like, made fun of Andy a bunch during the party and called him names or something. I forget exactly what the details is.
1: Yeah, um, he was he was calling him names, and Eddie says he was just trying to, you know, rib him, make him one of the boys, and then he sprayed him with a beer can, and it was an accident.
0: hmm My main note during this scene is, holy shit, they have so much sexual tension, and they should just fuck already. Like, <laughs> it is, like... <laughs> palpable between the two of them well yes yes it is almost uncomfortable yes yeah i did speaking of the beer can being sprayed on andy eddie says oh it was just an accident and shawnee says "Mm, i thought the worst and it was like (laughs) what (laughs) that's such a weird line and such a weird way to put it the the worst
1: is, like, I, I can't even think of what the worst is for that. <laughs> like, it is the worst, is you spilled beer on somebody. That's it. Done.
0: Yeah. No, it's, I like, spilling beer on someone sucks, but it just, like, for Jill or for Shawnee to blatantly come out and it didn't feel super jokingly say, I thought you did that on purpose and I thought you were a shitty person for it, was like okay, guess we're just like saying our character motivations out loud in this episode, huh?
1: And I kind of like that. And that's what <laughs> this, this next, this next part of this scene is more about that. It, this yeah. scene is especially important in once they get into the shower about kind of the growth of the characters over this episode.
0: Yeah, this next section, I think, actually felt a little bit more natural to me, which mm-hmm. is that Eddie and Shawnee are both like, showering off after a day of being a lifeguard and shawnee is asking eddie what he thought about andy and eddie doesn't really want to talk about it because he still wants to date shawnee uh and also doesn't like andy so shawnee has a whole speech that i actually very much agree with which is basically like listen if we're gonna be friends that means we're gonna be friends and like you have to emotionally support me as well. Like this isn't just you get to be my friend when it benefits you. Like, no, we like, if we're friends, we're going to be friends. And Eddie finally is like, fine. I don't like Andy. And then Shawnee's mad at him.
1: Yeah. Something I, I have a lot in my notes in this episode and I've already mentioned it is the theory of lived inness, mm-hmm. Uh And, in this scene i especially think it helps us understand where I, so a lot of things i like about characters in things that aren't you know bad movies and such so like actual real opinions here um, is characters where i can predict how they would react in scenes that aren't shown in the media so yeah. for example if you have a villain And he, you know, has a motive and he is violent to something. I want to know how he would react when confronted with like the morality of what he's doing. It may may not be something that he shows, but I want there to be enough character development that leads me to that. So in this scene, what it does is it kind of does that. It, It adds more to how these characters react when they feel emotionally attacked. Eddie, we've seen so much of that throughout this show so far of his kind of trauma reactions and how he is very much in fight or flight. And that really speaks a lot to me because I enjoy seeing characters fleshed out in ways that aren't explicitly told us uh, to us. And Shani also gets some of that in this scene where we see a lot of motivation for she wa- really wants either. She's like really jealous and she wants to make him jealous, but also that she really cares about n- knowing and feeling, feeling validated. And when she's not feeling that validation, it really angers her. And this scene is just a perfect setup to, again, some really controversial stuff later, but it's mm-hmm. a really good scene. Uh, and, I I have a feeling I'm going to rate this episode higher than you. Uh,
0: I think that's true. <laughs> yes.
1: Uh, and there's gonna be a lot of discussion on that. But yeah, uh, I think this is a fantastic scene.
0: Yeah, I want to agree with a lot of what you said about these characters feeling very lived in. And I think this episode might be the clearest example of the differentiation between I don't know if these are the real technical terms for it, but character writing and dialogue writing that I've Mm -hmm. seen in a show, because I think the character writing in general is very good on this episode, especially where like the, the characters do feel like they have real motivations and they do feel like they are acting in accordance with what we've seen of them as a person. And like you said, like they, they feel very consistent. They feel very lived in and very real, but then also the dialogue sucks a lot of the time. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's still written like a campy show from 1989. Yes. No doubt. They have quick wit everywhere, which you can't just have a hundred percent quick wit and call it good. But this scene is one of those. And this episode has a lot of those scenes where they go from your quick witness to, I literally don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is powerful, yeah. but like, that's not a hundred percent of the time. And it's a really hard balance to do when writing literally anything.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really curious to see how this continues to develop. Like I, I am surprised that we have this like concrete of a picture of these characters, you know, eight episodes into season one. And I'm yeah curious to see where they go from here. Yeah. Agreed. But, you know, where Craig goes from here is to Trevor's (laughs) tower to go Mm -hmm. congratulate Trevor on finally passing rookie school. Mm -hmm. Trevor tells Craig about the party boat that the bride fell off of and says that the wedding's canceled and I'm taking her out to dinner next week. (laughs) Which is bad. I don't like it. Especially because Craig then kind of winks at Trevor and nudges him in the side and congratulates him. And it's like, ooh, right, we are still in 1989. Lifeguards are still bros. Yeah. Not a whole lot else to say in that scene, but I just wanted to touch on how much I continue to hate Trevor. Uh, Trevor is a...
1: There's this term in wrestling i like to introduce to this podcast, which is called 50-50 booking, which mm-hmm. is the term where you play out a story and you say, okay, well, to advance the story, this person's got to have a win. Okay, great. Person A has a win. Well, what if the next week we have them lose? Okay. Well, what if the next week we have them win? Okay. That's one way to do it. Um <laughs> It's not a great way. You could have someone consecutively win and whatever. But what if you take the story and you just decide to flip a coin and that's who wins that week? That's oh. 50-50 booking, right? Uh, and it unfortunately happens sometimes. They're just like, I don't know. Uh, I guess this person wins. Well, why did they win? Uh, I don't know. I just wrote down that they win. Does it advance the <laughs> story? No, not not really. And Trevor's character writing is 50-50 booking. Yeah. Some weeks he's just like great like he's a really deep character in some weeks he's just uh, like a like a lech and it's it's exceptionally flip the coin
0: yeah yeah as a as a contrast to characters like shawnee and eddie who feel lived in trevor feels like a caricature a lot of the
1: exactly exactly
0: next up uh we go to shawnee's apartment where andy is trying to fix her sink but he doesn't actually know what he's doing And Shawnee basically is like, hey, Andy, how about instead we go study and you let the landlord do this and leave the sink? And the subtext here is and me alone Um, Mm -hmm. because he gives up on the sink and then starts like hitting on her and telling her that, oh, my dad will love you, but my mom won't. But it's fine because who cares what she thinks? Well, I have to I have
1: to give the line because oh. I, I need to accentuate just how bad this character is, like as a person.
0: Oh, I'm remembering this line now, and it's bad. He says, my mom probably
1: wouldn't like you or my mom would hate you. And she goes, why? And he goes, well, she'll take one look at your hair, at your curves, oh. and she'll pull me aside and she'll say, you're not Garrison material, but it's okay. Because as long as I like your hair... And your curves. That's all that matters. And then he starts necking her. Yeah. Uh and then she's like,
0: I got work to do. Bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he she starts walking off and he's like, Hey, I didn't fix your sink, so I deserve kiss. <laughs> yeah. um, exactly. And she says, No. So then he grabs her and throws her around and breaks a bunch of shit and is just like super sexually abusing her. And yeah. he eventually after like throwing her on the ground and breaking lamps and shit is like, oh, I was just joking and blah, ba 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 And like the two of them are sitting on the floor and she's mad at him and he's, you know, being charming, manipulative abuser. And then she finally like turns around and kisses him and he goes, did you really think I was going to take no for an answer? And then they make out some more because there's nothing more romantic than assault. So
1: I think one of the important things for this episode as we talk about it is being as explicit as possible with, well, first, our our thoughts are are pretty clear that we do not condone Mm -hmm. any sort of abuse, but being explicit with what happens in the episode, because I want to portray not to glamorize abuse in any way, but to talk about the specific kind of abuse that happens, and also mm-hmm. to show you just I'm gonna regret these words, but I don't mean them uh literally, which is how well in quotes the abuse is written.
0: Um how how realistic, I think I would say. Yeah, okay, that's that's much better. Yeah. Um, and I, I so, do very much agree with you there. Yeah.
1: So in this scene there is a, so he grabs her and she expresses explicit non-consent. Mm-hmm. She says, ow, she says it's hurting her. And he still tries to, to, you know, kiss her. And this happens multiple times and he pushes her multiple times. Uh, and he, he thinks it's funny and apologizes. And he says, I'm I'll write right. I'm sorry. hundred times on a blackboard or even, Andy loves Shawnee a thousand times and she, it's not a case of, she is like, Hmm, that, you know what? I just love it. When you tell me Andy loves Shawnee 1000 times, uh, it's more of a, okay. And it feels very much like a character who is codedly has like a traumatic past. Yeah. And this is her inability to, inability to handle or inability to discern the abuse from a normal show showings of affection um that's a weird way to say it
0: yeah i i know what you mean though like it definitely it definitely feels like this is not the first time she's been through this and so she's i'm trying to figure out the best way to say this without <laughs> this is a hard episode to talk lame-y. about but it, exactly. it definitely feels like she's She's someone who feels, at least the way she's written, more susceptible to this kind of abuse, maybe, than you would expect from a character who we've otherwise seen to be, like, a fairly, like, self, self-confident self person, I would say. And, and obviously not that abuse can't happen to people who right. are self-confident, right, right. but at least in, like, media portrayals, and especially media portrayals from this time, it... It was, I think, I think interesting to see that contrast between a character who is, who has been written as this like very strong independent character and showing how, how that doesn't matter when you're in these like systems and cycles of abuse. And I think like as much as this is obviously like a difficult topic and as much as this show has historically been very bad with this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. I actually think they did a surprisingly good job of this storyline. And that is
1: why, hint hint, I'm going to have some more positive views of the episode, <laughs> uh, because I don't know if the context is there for you of just how bad a subject like this was written in the early nineties or late eighties that this stands out. And even in some shows in 2020, don't have the forethought to have a character who is written and introduced to us as a strong character, suffering a flaw after writing them as strong and then continuing to write them as strong because we see so much in media of women are weak and here's the thing that makes them weaker, and then they continue to be weak, that something else seems like out of the norm, seems like a blessing uh, in a weird way. Uh, it doesn't seem like... It's obviously a show about lifeguards, and it's not perfect in its portrayal, but it's it's pretty fucking good. Uh, I mean, and it clearly knows what it's doing. Like, my subtitles here which are official subtitles from Amazon, Uh, why after he says, you would think I was going to take no for an answer. The next subtitle is ominous music plays. Mm -hmm. Like they know that this is bad. And we know throughout the episode that this is supposed to be bad. Uh, It's a real abuse of power. Yeah. And I think that really helps that they know for sure 100% that this is all bad.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it makes a big difference that the show never tries to portray this as a mistake or as a gray area or as oh, you know, she's just playing hard to get and like whatever. Like they the show's point of view pretty unequivocally like condemns the actions of this character, which I think I think also play to its advantage a lot in terms of handling it better than they've handled mental health in almost any episode.
1: Yes, uh, but there is a lot more to talk about, especially with this storyline, but in this episode. So let's move on.
0: Yeah, next up we get um, a pretty major tonal shift, Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which happens a lot throughout this episode and uh, never quite feels right. Yep. That's what happens when you contrast your sexual assault plotline with a plot line about a party boat. Woo! Mm-hmm. Um speaking of that party boat, we've got Craig going to talk to Captain Logan, who again is Brian Cranston. Um, and mm-hmm. seriously, he's great in this. Like Oh yeah. He he's so good. Um, it really makes sense why he became as big as he did. Wait, he did other things? Well, I mean Not as big as this, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. No, I mean, this was the peak of his career.
1: Um, okay, okay. I just I just want to make sure. I, I don't want to feel like I, I'm getting FOMO here.
0: Right. No, when I say got as big as he did, I mean how, like, when everyone thinks of Baywatch, the first person they think of is Brian Cranston in this role, and, like, all the Baywatch posters had him front and center on it.
1: I thought when you said as big as he did, you meant that he got, like, really into, like, bodybuilding.
0: <laughs> I mean, he's pretty jacked in this episode.
1: Yeah, he's like, you know, Lou Ferrigno body type. You know. <laughs> he's just like, I'm I'm trying to uh audition for the incredible hulk here. I even painted my screen my skin green. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> green with envy and greed. <laughs> because you know what? Tom Logan is all about the money. Mm-hmm. And Craig tells him, you know what? You should take it easy there. And he's like you know what it's a way to wreck an engine Hmm. Hmm. that might come back later yeah. and tom's like well you have no jurisdiction over the sea man uh, <laughs> and that's just what i want to say to everyone ever
0: i do you mentioned the engine being foreshadowed um this show <laughs> does a lot of does a lot of foreshadowing this episode especially but almost every episode is very convinced that unless they set something up mm, eight to ten times they are not allowed to pay it off Mm -hmm. it really starts to bother me do you think they're allowed to pay this one off i i don't think they needed to set it up as many times as they did like Mm. you don't need extended shots of the engine after uh, we will get to it later but it's oh god it,
1: i was i was really hoping it was going to be a payoff and just have us reuse clips of al's boat blowing up from the pilot
0: movie <laughs> i was hoping that too when we got the shots of the engine that we'll get to later um I was like, oh, fuck, is this boat going to explode? Like- I, mean, like, I was like, come on, Hobie, have a party, have a party there, and just be like, not again!
1: <laughs> uh, which is a very bad joke. I don't wish that on Hobie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and nor do I wish on anybody. But this episode is uh, a crazy, wacky, just hootenanny of an episode.
0: Oh, yeah. Speaking of Hobie, though, he's... In the headquarters, hiding from Jenny, who shows up to the locker room to ask Eddie if Eddie's seen Hobie anywhere, and Eddie says nope, and then goes to open his locker, and Hobie's hiding in it. And Eddie basically gives Hobie a pep talk and says, like, listen, the only way out is just talk to Jenny. Like, you have to actually have a conversation. And then he says an amazing line, which is, better the clean sharp snap than the long slow bend man (laughs) oh man i love that line
1: oh it's so so much it's so bad it's so cheesy i i don't know what it really means but i do know what it means Mm -hmm. but also i'm like is that is that philly jargon is that something (laughs) they say in philly like who says that oh god it's it's a hell of a line I like to imagine William Schwartz wrote that and just like popped himself a cheese ball and was like, mm-hmm. you know what? It tastes like chicken balls.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely one of those lines that, like I've mentioned before, where you can just tell the writers were proud of themselves after they wrote it. It was just mm-hmm. it was so deep. And, you know, they had to
1: just counter that with Hobie being an alpha Chad again to <laughs> Jenny. Because uh, he's just an alpha Chad many times in this episode. Oh, you know. Uh, just like, she's like, well, do you want to do this thing? And he's like, no. <laughs> are, are, you, are you sure? Uh, sorry. What, what I meant was, no, I, I don't want to do that. Well, d- wh- why? I have things to do around the house. I could help you. No. Are, are you sure uh, I'm sorry I, I meant I meant no and Eddie's looking at him thinking dude I said clean sharp snap not long slow
0: bend and and funny you should mention that because uh the last line of this scene is Eddie saying to Hobie going for the long slow bend huh <laughs> This scene is trash. Oh, it's so like, let's—it's it's so, so bad. bad. It's so, yeah, bad. let's move on to the next scene. Um, <laughs> yes, please. Which is Shawnee at a tower with Jill, and she's on the phone with Sid, trying to. She's yelling at Sid about how is he sure that Andy hasn't called yet, and you know I can't believe he hasn't called yet, and all of this kind of stuff. And Jill is trying to give Shawnee advice on how to not date douchebags. And then Shawnee says that Andy thinks that she, quote, spends too much time thinking about strangers and not enough about him. And Mm. ooh, boy. Uh, Um, yeah. But Shawnee leaves and Jill asks what she should say if Andy calls. And Shawnee says, my unironic, but slightly ironic, uh, favorite line of the episode, which is, mm-hmm. I called, I cared, I left, and just yeah. walks off. And it's, ooh, boy, are the writers real proud of that line, huh? Yeah, I'm shocked they didn't
1: have Shani say it in Latin.
0: <laughs> yeah, I so I did actually Google the Latin for yes! that. Yes, yes! Um, but I, the words are too complex, and I can't pronounce them, and so I didn't bother. Oh, um, you didn't, like, convert it to another language? <laughs> Yeah, it turns out I don't speak Latin. So, mm, shock. None <laughs> of us really do. Next up, we're back to the party boat sort of, which is Craig is looking at records about the Party Boat Captain with Mitch. And which ooh, man, Party Boat Captain with Mitch would be a great band name. Um, mm, yeah, all bluegrass covers. I was thinking more yacht rock, but we could do a fusion bluegrass disco huh i want nothing more than to hear what bluegrass disco sounds like i feel like there's a scissor sisters
1: song that's probably (laughs) bluegrass disco (laughs) it just sounds right to me yeah i can believe it i'm gonna absolutely look up if there is bluegrass disco
0: oh absolutely i'm incredibly curious now much like how craig is curious about the history of tom logan because it turns out that this is not Tom Logan's first rodeo. He's been running all sorts of uh weird businesses on the ocean. Previously, he was running a parasailing operation. And apparently, it meant that the lifeguards were pulling, like, multiple people out of the water a day. And so, eventually, Tom Logan got shut down. So, Craig says he's going to go grab a rescue boat and go watch the party boat to make sure they don't do anything, which I don't love. Um, but you know, so be it. Um, and Mitch and Craig says that Mitch should come with him. And Mitch is like, no, I got to stay here at the Mm -hmm. headquarters and watch over things. And Craig turns to the other lifeguards and goes, does anyone here care if Mitch takes the afternoon off and no one even looks at them? And it's actually pretty funny. Um, so Mitch decides to come with Craig on the party boat.
1: So before we go to the next scene, which is, uh, a very, very big tonal shift. Oh, I want to, I want to, I want to hype, uh, not hype us up, but I want to get us at least something positive before this scene, mm-hmm. which is actually, I did a quick Google search and there is some bluegrass disco. There is uh Tennessee Waltz country bluegrass disco by Joel Diamond. And then there is also Saturday Night Hay Fever. <laughs> Bluegrass artists perform <laughs> disco hits. It's a nine song album from 2002. Oh, of shit. Covers of Night Fever, Staying Alive, Mama Mia, How Deep Is Your Love, Never Can Say Goodbye, I Will Survive, Tragedy, Funky Town, and Rasputin. Damn. All by Bluegrass Bands.
0: Damn. All right, you're gonna have to send me a link to this. I don't. I don't even know if there's
1: like... I'll have to look hard for a link to it. I just found the Discogs page for this. Oh, okay. But if I can find this Oh, we are I will we are searching it out. Oh absolutely. Uh, but I wanted to provide that because this next scene is this is the start of where I think this episode went from we were talking very seriously about it, but like it it ramps up in how serious this is from this this point on.
0: Yeah, this is this is where it gets real dark. Um, yes. And yeah.
1: Just so you know, Morgan, mm-hmm. I can get you a physical copy of this by next Thursday. Oh, <laughs> God. I can even get it for three bucks used oh, or I can get it oh my God. With as good quality or I can get it for 14 bucks new.
0: Oh, my God. If I had a way yeah. to play a CD. Ah, damn. Uh, oh, you know, I think my car has a CD player. Yeah. Uh. <laughs>
1: If if not, what I can do is I can go very roundabout. We hang out. I bring my boombox from 2001. <laughs> we put it in, we plug it in, and we play it. <laughs> yeah, oh, but it's man. not on Spotify or anything like that. Damn. Yeah, that part sucks. But
0: uh, yeah, let's get back to this episode. Yeah, let's do it. This next scene is another Shawnee and Andy scene. And like we said, this is where shit starts to get real. Um Shawnee's on the beach and Andy shows up and he's trying to make up to her by bringing her flowers and taking her out to dinner, but Andy didn't call her all day, so Shawnee made other plans with Jill, which, you know, because she's an adult and Andy doesn't control her life. Andy's real mad about this. So he tries to get her to cancel her plans, and she's like, listen, just because you're flaky doesn't mean I'm going to be. But Mm -hmm. I forget, I wish I'd written down the exact line. Oh, I have it. It's just
1: because because you're insensitive with my feelings doesn't mean I'm going to treat Jill that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which I thought was actually a pretty good line.
1: Line of the century right there.
0: (laughs) But yeah, he's trying to get her to cancel her plans, and... She won't. So she gets in the car. Okay. So
1: no, she actually doesn't get in the car. What happens is he pushes her into the car. Right. She is not consensually get into the car with him. In fact, she, as you said, she's supposed to have plans. And he says, he grabs her and says, I don't want to fight and I don't want to play games, but I want to be with you tonight. And then, uh, when she says something like, "I'm not going to do this just because you want to you because you want me to," he says, "You bet get in," and that's when he pushes her
0: right, yeah, I couldn't remember if she got into the car voluntarily or not, but yeah that that does check out, and then basically, once he puts her into the car, he like vaults over top of this convertible into the driver's seat. And she like goes for the door and he locks her in and then she's trying to get away and he punches her just right in the face. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's, yeah, it's hard to watch in part because sexual assault is Mm -hmm. obviously like a difficult subject and never a fun thing to watch, but also, and I really don't mean to make light of this, but the way it's shot is very goofy and it, really it really just struck me in this moment of like the way i don't know the way the shots are framed and the like weird cuts they do and the little bit of slow motion they do on the punch it just it felt so odd to me
1: they don't so i'm rewatching the scene right now as we're talking and they don't d- actually do any slow motion which is, which oh, is nice
0: i thought i remembered that but i i could be wrong
1: no, you just you just slow motioned it in your head, uh, but you're right about the framing of it. Uh, the thing I can most relate it to is everything is staged like a play.
0: Yeah, uh, they're
1: very much it, they're very much in. Um, you have to. I mean, you're the th- you're the theater guy here, so you know. Correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but they're very much staged in like. Here is the placement of me, so that you can have eyesight of me at all times. Yeah. Uh, and it's very much like I'm right in front of you. Here's a background wall. Here's our one item in the shot. Mm-hmm. It's just like, they have like a, you know, like a, a brick wall behind them. Uh, it's a very sparse scene, especially from before they were on the beach cuddling or whatever. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's kind of different. Uh, and the scene is also very odd because it, and he, like, he slaps her and then um, it ends with him, like, just clearly hyperventilating. But not, like, in, like, a, oh, my God, what did I do? But, like, I'm still angry, hyperventilating. And she's yeah. extremely shocked and, like, doesn't know what to say, doesn't know what to do, uh, which, fair. Yeah. Uh, it's weird because this is the part where I expected Baywatch to cut to something really goofy. Mm-hmm. But instead what they did is they cut to Eddie coming her apartment and her apartment is god awful gaudy it is the kind of green that exists in like a terry gilliam movie or like (laughs) the green that gumby is made out of and um but he comes to her door and he he has her mail and he says he wants to talk to her but she doesn't she doesn't want company and uh so he drops her mail and then waits outside her door for her to open it because he's a creep Mm -hmm. uh, and we see this bruise on her face. And that is like, it's two scenes kind of as one. Yeah. And this, I was not expecting, I was, I was really not expecting this show to do the, to do more physical violence after the, you know, all of that before, like I didn't expect it to escalate from here. Uh, And I, there's no way to say I was a good shocked uh because that's not a good thing but i was and i can't even say i'm impressed because that's also a bad connotation for this
0: but i think it's reasonable to say that we i mean i can't speak for you but i feel like we were both pretty surprised by how realistically this plotline was portrayed and how how well written it was
1: yeah um, we keep on saying now that we're the biggest Baywatch fans on the planet, (laughs) um, how impressed we are with this show at times. And this is another one of those situations where I am just floored by my expectations going in and what they actually delivered. Uh, And also going back to something we said earlier on the podcast that I was reading into how uh, the female viewership was higher because it promoted strong women Mm You mentioned earlier you can be strong and still have trauma happen to you. Mm-hmm. And I think this episode's a really good signifier of that. And it definitely, in, in my opinion, portrays Shawnee as strong um, yeah. as we go through the episode. Uh, but this scene, it was... I didn't expect it on our little lifeguard show.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think my general feelings about this whole plot line to, to spoil a little bit for later in the show, is that I think it was well written, but I think I wish that they had used this good writing juice for a better plot line. Like
1: oh, there's some parts of it that also we'll get to Yeah, that. Mm.
0: I just but. I think it sucks that the best writing we've seen in this show consistently are when characters are being abused and and often women and like yes the show always frames it as like this is bad and don't do this but it would also be nice to just like see a positive story about a woman in this show which i don't feel like we've had yet
1: no mm, i'm trying to think no uh we haven't had that i mean there is the moment there is some good writing that doesn't involve explicitly you know women but the best of it does yeah Uh,
0: yeah i think the i think the closest we've gotten to a positive story involving a woman is the the bank robbers (laughs) i was gonna say gail yeah yeah the problem is she's such a background side character yeah i guess well
1: i mean in the early first few episodes it's her ability to tell mitch you know to basically back your dick off Mm -hmm. uh is powerful and it's good, and depending on what your like your biases, like hers, deciding that Hobie should stay you know in California or go with her, uh it does have a positive outlook in the end, yeah, yeah, I would agree but this is you know completely different, and we have so much more episode to get to
0: mm-hmm We mentioned earlier how surprised we were that the punch didn't immediately lead into another wacky scene on the party boat. And it's because uh, it's after this dramatic moment of Shawnee's Black Eye that we lead <laughs> back to a wacky scene of the party boat. <sighs> We're back on the party boat and uh, Tom Logan is still just drinking and chilling while the partiers try and throw someone over water who clearly does not want to be thrown over water or overboard into the water. And but
1: Brian Cranston does a great job of drinking. Like, this guy has a future. Oh. Uh, yeah. But it's never going to happen because we're in the future and we know he never goes anywhere.
0: Mm-hmm. We have the rescue boat with Craig and Mitch. They're following this party boat. And then we cut to a shot of the engine where, there, where ominous music plays. And then we cut back to Tom Logan, who sees the rescue boat and just kind of, like, waves and is like, hey. And then... This scene is over and we're back into more very dark territory. (laughs) Yes. Which is Eddie is basically trying to, like, figure out a reason that he can justify Andy hitting Shawnee. I -hmm. I really did not care for this exchange because he keeps being like, oh, well, like you hit him, right? Or like, you know, you abused him too. And she's like, no, no, I would never do that. It's just like, we got in an argument and I'm not perfect either. And then Eddie's like, oh, well then now it's not okay. And
1: so I didn't take it as that. Oh, okay. Uh, I took it at, well, one, Eddie is emotionally immature. Let's establish that. Let's establish that. Uh, And, it's also limited writing maybe for like the times in 1989. Mm-hmm. Let's establish that. Yeah. With that out of the way, I think the way he did it was, uh, he asks her in more of a, uh, again, emotionally mature way. Like, let me prove to your anxiety that, uh, he, he is the, that Andy is the villain here. Did he hit you? Did he do this? And then no, he has no reason to hit you. That's the first first way okay. I took it. And then she says, I'm not an angel in all this, which I thought I, first I took this as this writing sucks. And then I took it as was well, someone who has also experienced trauma uh, and has gone to therapy for it and has also had my therapist tell me like, think about the way in which you're talking about the other person on the side of this trauma in which you are like defending yourself or you're, de- yeah, you're, you're defending yourself and them at the same time, rather than just defending yourself. Granted, all trauma is different. Sure. Like, let's establish that. But I related to this and that i saw myself in Shawnee, because she's saying she's not an angel in all this and this is why i was worried earlier about the party uh scene with her dancing that they actually gave context for this and they were going to ruin it right specifically this line but we saw the fight and she was an angel in it she established a boundary she did everything to mm-hmm. uh be true to herself and but she can't control how other people react. And so in her mind, she's then saying, Well, it's got to be my fault, right? Maybe I didn't clearly establish the boundary. Maybe, you know, so- something. Totally. So she established boundaries and he did not respect them. And so in her mind, she is defending herself to also prove that maybe she's not horrible. I don't know. So I saw this as really well written. If I'm looking very deep into what they're saying, if you take it on the face level, it's really bad writing. But that's why, again, I go back to the the lived inness of these characters because I have to think about the deeper context for them, and then I it changes the way I'm perceiving the writing.
0: Yeah, I think I think I agree with most of what you said, and I think your reading of of Eddie's dialogue when I think back on it does does also make sense. It wasn't how I initially took it, but I I definitely see that reading and I I don't I don't think that the scene doesn't support that reading as well. Um and I no. I agree with you that I think Shawnee actually especially in this scene is is very well written and felt like very truthful to me of like what I've experienced from like my own life and from knowing people who have gone through similar situations and mm-hmm. the way you know again Every everything's different, but at least in my, like, personal lived experience, this this felt very real to me. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. And I think one of our focuses as we go through this episode, which somehow we're, you know, quite deep into it, but also there's still a lot more, is that Shawnee and Eddie are written very differently in this episode, and Shawnee is written very powerful, and Eddie is very much written kind of like the unintelligent punk that he is yeah and that leads to a dichotomy of the dialogue development is not necessarily great unless we really really do a literature deep dive but the character development is great and it doesn't necessarily mean the character development is good in terms of morally good Mm -hmm. but it is good in that it's well written, I think. Yeah. And I specifically bring that up because of the next line, which is the most 1989 fucking I'm a dude from Philly line, which is Eddie says, In my world, where I come from, there's only two kinds of guys are women, cripps of drink and Plano creeps. Uh, and he asks, Which one is Andy? Uh, and she says it could have happened to anybody this is you're not just anybody uh, and the reason i say those lines like that is because yeah it's bad dialogue it's very bad but but it's very eddy dialogue it's consistent with the character and i'm okay with like you know corny stuff if we've established the character is corny and like isn't like he he's inhabiting a world far too emotionally complex for him <laughs> which he kind of is uh, but he clearly has some morality, and he's struggling to deal with it. Now, that's Eddie up to now. In a few moments, I have problems with Eddie. God. but let's but let's go on to what happens. I next. want to
0: specifically highlight the part of the line you mentioned, which is that Eddie saying, "like," or Shawnee saying, "This could happen to anybody," and Eddie saying, "But you're not just anybody." Which I mean, so a. Like, that's not true. Um, it it can happen. To um, Sorry, anyhow. I may have just snorted out some water. Uh, <laughs> just because of the way
1: you said that. Okay, continue. Um,
0: and B, uh, this is foreshadowing uh, the worst line of this entire episode, which will happen in about another minute and a half in this scene.
1: Yes, I hate it, but oh, please continue. God.
0: So at this point, Andy shows up and... Shawnee doesn't want Eddie to intervene because Eddie's just going to be hothead and, like, I don't know, try and punch Andy or something. So Shawnee very conveniently manages to block the scene such that uh, Eddie is just outside of Andy's sight lines. Um, I guess she's a real good choreographer. Um, It... Ooh, I didn't like that bit. It just drives me bonkers in shows where characters are that aware of their blocking and uh, know to hit their marks in character but anyway um to
1: be to be fair in the hope that uh to be fair to be, to be fair <laughs> uh, to be fair uh in the hope that specific people don't end up listening to this podcast i may or may not have an ex who specifically did that
0: oh oh fun oh oh fun mm-hmm.
1: yes Let's continue. Oh,
0: yeah. Andy shows up and makes up this whole story about how after he hit Shawnee, he just started driving all by himself, and then he drove until he ran out of gas, and then he... This
1: was line for line. Uh, half of it was actually uh, like a wrestling promo, I feel like. <laughs> uh, there, There's this... T- this is a very serious subject. We're not going to take away from that. But there is this famous wrestling promo, and just to give context to the words, promo in wrestling is when someone gets on the mic and does a speech. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a promo where there's the Undertaker, who's you know basically undead wizard of darkness, and this is at the point where he is summoning his um uh his oh peak evil, his ministry of darkness, uh, and he is like actually cutting himself on national television and then drinking the blood, uh, crazy shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, right after that, this is like right after that, he's like, but what if I become a dark wizard biker? Uh, and so then he's like, okay, I'm a dark wizard biker. And he gets the wrestler, the big show, And the big show is his original gimmick was I'm Andre, the Giant's son. And then he was like, and no, I'm just another dude who has, you know, giants, you know, disease. Um, So there's this promo where he's like, so then I take the big show to Death Valley, where I'm from, and I tell him, son, we took our motorcycles here, but you're walking back. And then three days later, I'm out at a gas station. I'm having myself a beer. And who do I see walk up out of the desert covered in dirt? It's the big show. And he's holding his motorcycle, and he's carrying it over his shoulder, oil dripping around him. And that's when I knew, that's when I knew he could handle it. And it's like a four, five-minute version of that. And that's what this fucking feels like. It is so long-winded he talks about how he ran out he was driving it took he he ran out gas and he had to walk and all like a picture was hurt and then he like started crawling and then he saw a car and the headlights he was like i could see is your face and
0: and specifically
1: fucking hate this dude He doesn't
0: even say that he started crawling he says and i think maybe somewhere in there i started crawling which just like oh
1: but also like this, this actor, Stephen Eckholt, like... He's
0: really good.
1: He is... Like, I am shocked he wasn't in a lot more stuff because th- yeah. th- this is great acting for this villain. Like, he's he's a shitbag. Uh, and, oh, my God, like, I, I felt a little triggered, like, watching this part because I definitely have seen before the let me make up a long story to get Mm. to the point so that you just feel so emotionally connected to my apology when really there's no Mm. apology and eddie is rolling his eyes the entire time
0: oh yeah yeah i mean specifically what he's doing is he's finding ways to make the like sadness and victimization about him right and he's the one who you know punched her in the face and tried to control her life and Now that she's mad at him, he has to find some way to make himself the victim and to reshift all the attention onto him. Which
1: is, like, the most classic abusive tactic.
0: Oh, yeah. At this point, Shawnee is completely buying his story Mm -hmm. and, like, hugs him. And then Eddie is standing in the background and somehow, Andy still hasn't seen Eddie, despite the fact that Andy moved further into the room to hug Shawnee and has his head, like, pointed at Eddie. So, Eddie goes, Shawnee. And Andy, like, perks up and looks at Eddie. And Eddie basically tells Shawnee that, listen, Andy's story is bullshit. You're a snake. Um, but he does it in uh, the worst possible way. mm mm-hmm. um, and then Shawnee tells Eddie to leave, and Andy just, like, leers at Shawnee, and it's really uncomfortable. Um, and then Eddie says... <laughs> no. Uh, I don't have the exact line, because it hurt too much, and I didn't want to go back and rewatch. Uh, I- I have- I have some of it. Uh, the- I have the end bit, um, but basically he... He victim blames Shawnee like real hard for letting herself be abused, quote unquote, which is very much not a thing, to be clear. He says he says at
1: first, I thought you were special Mm -hmm. and I was wrong. You are just an anybody. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's oh God. It like which. Oh.
1: And and then and then he also calls her a dumb blonde bimbo, yes. which yeah. Uh, yeah. So th- hate, this is the this is the point where uh, I've been silent about this part leading up to it, which is that I like Eddie as a character. However, there are two villains in this episode, and it's Eddie and Andy, mm-hmm. and they're both abusers. Uh, and the difference is that. In 1989, especially, it was easier to show a character like Andy and say he's evil. You can show Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars and you can just say, that guy's evil. He shoots lightning at people. Mm-hmm. Darth Vader, he's you know clad in black and, and kills people. He's evil. But what you couldn't necessarily do was show a character who has these moments of weakness and still cast him as the villain. Um, you can, I guess, now uh, at times, but they people still don't like to do it. But in reality, if you do something like that that's abusive, like you still did something abusive, and it's not the first time that Eddie is also shown to uh, just not make great decisions, and I think it's partially due to him being emotionally unintelligent and not knowing what to do with like his trauma and his fear and anxiety, so on and so forth, but in this moment he is an abuser you don't call people that shit yeah and you don't say that stuff especially when you're just like i was your friend i'm here for you you're gonna sleep with him Mm -hmm. how dare you you bimbo yeah Uh, yeah
0: yeah he he really makes this whole thing out to be pretty exclusively shawnee's fault for letting herself get abused and it Ooh man it like it was not a fun scene to watch
1: he makes it about himself like and that's literally the thing andy just did that you rolled your eyes at and now you're making mm-hmm. it about you yeah and so that leads to our next scene
0: yes which oh god is somehow equally bad um yeah, yeah. tell tell us about it morgan yeah next up we've got shirtless eddie punching a punching bag uh, uh sorry a speed bag yes a speed bag uh get your punching things right you know <laughs> yeah you know me morgan the martial artist um i did i do- thought th- i thought thrap was the noise that they make when they punch things <laughs> <laughs> i did do one summer of aikido um Ooh. oh <laughs> Um it was fun. Mostly we just played with uh wooden samurai swords and like uh whatever the Aikido name for a quarter staff is. I bet it
1: wasn't as fun as my summer at uh the school of rock where all I learned how to play was the African jembe, <laughs> <laughs> Which I made hell that story sometime on this podcast, but it is
0: it's it's a good one.
1: On one hand, uh one of my friends has referred to it as if I hadn't heard every other story about your life, Michael, I would say that is the most Michael (laughs) Eisen story possible, but somehow it is equivalent to like 50 other (laughs) stories about your life that are wacky, like super wacky. Uh, but I would love to tell that story sometime. Anyways, uh, it's a speed back.
0: It sure is. Um, I am literally just now learning that term, but I trust you. Um, Mm -hmm. So Eddie has the most overplayed routine I've ever seen of being fed up and angry. He, oh God, his acting in this scene is so bad. Just like, it's so bad. And I don't understand it. Like he's never been a standout actor, but he's never been particularly bad. And he is Mm -hmm. so bad in this scene. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, he's, he's punching the speed bag. And then he goes out to the sink and, like, splashes water on his face a couple of times. And this is intercut with shots of Craig trying to work on his lawyer papers, but he can't focus because Eddie's punching the speed bag. Um, Punching the speed bag feels like it should be a euphemism for something, but I don't know what, and I don't want to. Um, It's what you think it is. (laughs) No, it definitely is. Um, So Eddie dunks his entire head in the sink and turns on the faucet. Um, (laughs) okay. And so Craig finally at this point gets up and asks what's wrong. And Eddie says, and I quote women go figure. But
1: before we, before we go to the next part, I should just add that the whole time Eddie is punching the speed bag, right? There is this poster behind him. It's of a serene lake with a small little waterfall and some trees. And it says, life is a process (laughs) Uh, and and i can't think of like a more unfitting poster for the emotional weight of this scene than that
0: i did not notice that poster but that is great it
1: is Uh, sorry anyways yeah he goes woman go
0: um i'm just writing down punching the speed bag is the title for this episode um (laughs) (laughs) yes so yeah, Craig asks what's wrong, and Eddie says that just terrible, terrible line of women go figure. And they have an exchange where basically Eddie is mad at Shawnee for allowing herself to be abused. Like it's it's pretty explicitly stated. Um, and Craig's advice is you should just not get involved and instead walk away. Well, it's worse than even that. Oh, it, it gets it gets worse from there, but it starts off as like just don't even get involved.
1: No, I mean even before that, because Eddie is talking about how she kissed him mm-hmm. by him being Andy in front of him being Eddie and hugged him in front of him. It's about himself. Yeah. The little piece of shit. He's just again making it about his abusive behavior.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But you're right, Craig, Craig is does say That you can't be their referee.
0: Yeah. Well, and then says, just another contender for absolute worst line in this episode, which is that you know he keeps telling Eddie you should just walk away, and like you said, like he literally says you can't be their referee. Who, man, I don't abandon your friends who are being abused. Uh, Just like a pro life tip. Exactly. Um, (laughs) Which, by the way, this is a good point to interject in the pockets and say. Thank you, Morgan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah anytime, man. Uh,
1: but uh, I'm assuming the next line is going to be the line you're referring to.
0: Craig says finally that, oh, Eddie, you should just leave the two of them alone and just hope that she starts loving herself as much as you love her. <laughs> it's comical how bad this oh, line it's is. So it's bad. so bad. And then Eddie Eddie asks, what do you mean? And Craig says, lawyer's hunch. And if this show had a laugh track, the laugh track would play. And it's very undeserved because this whole scene fucking sucks. Bazinga. Oh, God. Yeah.
1: It's it's this. This scene was. uh, I
0: I hated it. I hated it so much.
1: If they removed Eddie from Shawnee's sections. In this episode, it might be better. Uh, but yeah, this 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 part
0: was oh, it was so yeah, rough. It was bad. And next we get to a scene with some more bad writing, um, which is that Hobie's <laughs> on the beach, just kinda chilling, uh, when Jenny catches up to him, and then they sound like a fifty year old couple who are going through a somewhat amicable divorce, and it specifically opens with Hobie saying the line, Jenny We have to talk about our relationship. And she's very confused. Mm -hmm. This whole scene, I mean, oh, God. They're supposed to be, what, 12, 13? They sound 30 at a bare minimum. I think it's partially... I I I my hope is that
1: Mitch gave him some off screen advice and told him what to say, and he's saying verbatim what Mitch told him.
0: Possibly, but Jenny Jenny sounds the same. Same dad. Yeah, yeah, the same dad.
1: <laughs> Ooh, no, they don't. No, no, don't. <laughs> no,
0: no, 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 yeah.
1: never, no, no, never mind. No, not taking this podcast there. <laughs> uh But Jenny has my favorite line of the episode uh in this scene. Yeah, which is she says hobie i i don't understand it's not like we're going steady or anything yes which <laughs> what does that mean you're 12 what the fuck yeah who jill donner william schwartz stop this
0: yeah no yeah <laughs> uh this scene ends with uh with jenny suggesting that the two of them take a break and hobie's just not into it and she sad runs away
1: she like yes. full on like mad tv stewart character runs away flailing uh it is it, it's the kind of run you also do when you're like i gotta poop I just gotta get to the bathroom like five seconds ago, and she's like, "Let me make a mad dash for it," but also like, "Let me let me throw them legs up to get, you oh, know, yeah. the perfect stride each time."
0: I, I I always feel a little bit bad, you know, making too much fun of child actors because like they're kids, whatever. But yeah, um, their blocking in this scene and the later scene with Todd is bad. It's very bad.
1: No, 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 no. The scene with Todd is perfect. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> the scene with Todd is so perfect. I will not have you besmirch that. Oh,
0: God, it's but,
1: so- but this scene is okay.
0: Yeah, it's... Oh, God, they just they just sound... They sound so world-weary. And, like, this is the, like... Oh, wouldn't you? The lifeguard life is hard, even as a junior lifeguard. Yeah. But it it sounds like both of them have been through this like 20 times before like they also th- okay so another wrestling
1: reference here
0: <laughs> which is,
1: there's this joke in wrestling how whenever you're you want to show oh someone else is witnessing what's going on in the ring but we don't have them in the ring they're like well how do you how do you show that well you should show them watching the show mm-hmm. specifically in wwe wwe is a show about a wrestling show as opposed to All oh, Elite Wrestling AEW, which is a wrestling show. A wrestling show is one that just has a lot of matches, and their whole thing is about the wrestling. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, I lost this match. That's my motivation. WWE is a show about a wrestling show where it's like, let's have a match based on the fact that there was just a paternity test. You know, who is the father? Whatever, right? Um, so what they'll do is they'll show someone backstage watching a monitor because the show is airing live. So they're like, Oh, so I just, am watching the live feed. So I get to show that I am paying attention to what's happening. But to do that, you can't have them stand in front of a TV because that blocks the monitor. So what you have to do is you have to have them diagonally from the side, watching the TV, which no person has ever <laughs> watched a TV like that ever before. And in this episode, in this scene specifically, both of these characters are standing like that, diagonally oh, yeah. looking at each other oh, because yeah. we can't
0: have them, I don't know, blocking the pier or some shit. I don't know. It is some... You talked earlier about the car being like stage theater production blocking. This is stage theater production blocking. This is, this is a novice director going, well, both of you need to be cheating out towards the audience. Um, so just stand exactly in line with each other, but angle yourselves like 15 degrees. yep it, if I didn't know better, which I do know better,
1: uh is I would say that, oh yeah, all of this is a green screen of a beach behind them, and they're <laughs> just standing in front of it and they they literally cannot take a step back otherwise they will knock over to the green screen <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh it's not a good scene. it's bad.
1: nope and this scene then takes us to a kind of nothing scene it, it, yeah. it's weird because it it cuts to some people as as you would call it you know the montage of feet uh, <laughs> but not a, like it's like a two-second montage and mm-hmm. then it cuts to eddie and he's there and he's just watching shawnee and andy meet up on the beach and that's yeah. it
0: yeah and that's the whole scene like yeah Andy just like wraps his arms around shawnee the two of them look at eddie and then the scene ends
1: yeah, and then it cuts to Brian Cranston going, "Hey, my escorts yep. <laughs> to Craig and yeah. Mitch," and I was like, "Okay, Brian, woo me, mm-hmm. woo me with your charm."
0: And you know what he does? He's a very charming man, but you know what he can't—he can't, he can't charm—is Mitch and Craig into helping him fix his oil line because he says oil line. Hmm? <laughs> He says that if the two of them want to be actually helpful, they should help with his oil line. And then Mitch and Craig say, "Uh, hey, you know how a bunch of drunk people just walked off your boat and are now going to drive home? Yeah, we're calling the cops because you overserved them. And, you know, now they're going to drunk drive and drive home.
1: So I said there were two villains in this episode. There's actually five <laughs> villains. There's Tom, Eddie, Andy, Craig and Mitch. Well, actually, there's mm-hmm. six. Also, Hobie for some reason, and Jenny. There's seven, but you know who's not a villain is Todd. Todd is the eternal hero, and I shall hear none of this blasphemous besmirching of his character.
0: He's the... Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) I took a picture of him. We'll show it later.
0: But this is the most Todd
1: Todd who has ever todd I... I kind of actually looked... We haven't even gone to Todd yet, but I actually was like, I want to be Todd for Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) And no one will get it, but I'll just be like, I'm Todd. And I'm like, listen to my podcast if you want to know who Todd is. (laughs) (laughs) Which this episode won't come out by Halloween time, so they're not going to know who he is.
0: Um but yeah it's a it's a pretty short scene. It just uh foreshadows for I think the hundredth time in this episode that something bad is going to happen to the party boats engine, uh, mm-hmm. because the other previous hundred thousand million fucking cues earlier in this episode weren't enough, I guess, yeah, just in case you like really aren't paying attention. Um, right next up is Eddie and Shawnee uh shawnee's trying to close out her tower and eddie's trying to talk to her and sort of apologize but not really and she is not into it which yeah he he makes it about himself again
1: mm-hmm. where she says that eddie embarrassed her and he says no i embarrassed me yes and dude stop mm. like just yeah like i got very
0: angry at this and i was just like dude shut the fuck up yeah, I, oh have my that, God. I have that specific line written down and then afterwards i have a note which is i think shawnee knows if he embarrassed her or not not eddie like yep eddie doesn't get to decide whether or not he embarrassed her um right he also says that he doesn't like
1: saying i'm sorry so he what he means is i don't like saying i'm sorry so I, you just gotta take it on my word that i'll be better
0: yeah Well, and specifically, what he says is, I don't like saying sorry, so I won't do it again. Which
1: is kind
0: of supposed to imply he won't, like, cause a scene again, but ooh, boy, does it not read that way. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: It's it's a weird line. Yeah. I have to think it was intentional that they were writing Eddie to be insufferable right here. Like, yeah. I mean,. And look, insufferable people can end up in relationships, and I'm not. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. (laughs) Point is, uh, so she said. Something we actually forgot to mention, which Mm -hmm. is very important, and I'm actually kind of shocked we forgot to mention this, is that after the punch or slap, the the rest of the episode has Shawnee with this huge bruise on her face. Yeah, and all of these scenes, like. I I don't mean it to say that it's a bad thing that they show us this bruise. Sure. But it's like front and center. Yeah. In a way, it's like reminding us like, oh, yeah, if you can't remember, like this person was hit. But it's not actually done like that. It's realistic in terms of like she has this bruise. Here is the sign, like the physical trauma of the abuse. Sure. And it kind of guides every time Eddie sees it, it guides his anger. Mm -hmm. So she in the scene says... She knows how it looked with the bruises, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah. And Eddie responds with, "Well, I'm sure he's he's just a swell guy." Mm Hmm. And then shawnee she, she, this is a line where I don't think it's bad writing. Uh, I get where they're trying to go here, but like, I, I I'm just not the biggest fan of the choice, which is then she just says well Eddie you and Andy could become best friends mm-hmm. like I, I think you'd get along like you even have like the like all the same taste in music because she's like probably in a point where she's trying to defend Andy she's still not like ready to admit that she needs to get out uh she's still justifying it and she's like well Eddie is my friend again I can allow for this to happen but he stops her and says he meant being sorry but he's not in the mood to talk about her boyfriend which comes off in two ways Either one, that he's like, I, my libido is just far too high now that I've apologized and that you're talking to me again, um, which I get that. And then two or two, which is that he doesn't want to talk about it because he's still so angry about the abuse. Mm-hmm. Given the way they characterize Eddie, I'm going to say it's the former because he's made it about himself. Even though he's upset about the abuse, he, he's upset about the abuse because of his libido, maybe or. Or at least it's a it's a guiding light for yeah. his abuse for for I mean, for his uh, opinion on the abuse.
0: Yeah. I think Eddie in this episode is written with a lot of depth, but uh, all of the depth is that he is a shitty person,
1: um. <laughs> which I'm OK with that characterization. I just want characterization. Yeah. Yeah. You know who else gets some character? Let's go to the Hopester.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Hobie's laying on the couch, staring at the ceiling when Mitch comes downstairs as the very like sitcommy fun dad, um and the two of them talk about the breakup for a little bit, and Hobie says the line If I got what I wanted, how come I feel so sad? Um <laughs> <laughs> Well, you kind of ruined... I I wrote that line, I was just like
1: Oh, like they're giving Kobe stuff to do, like to feel. And you just ruined all of that (laughs) with reading it that way. Holy shit. It just. I was like, this scene is, oh, it's another great dad and son combo between Mitch and Hobie. He gives (laughs) great fatherly (laughs) advice. And this scene is just 100% the aesthetic of what I remember from the 90s. Yeah. In terms of the staging, the dressing, the tone of the conversation. Everything and it was like it fit like a nice vibe for me, and you had
0: to go and fucking ruin that. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? What can I say? I enjoy ruining things. The one part of the scene I actually enjoyed was Hobie having a moment of maturity that felt appropriate for a 13 year old and not for a 60 year old divorcee who's been through six marriages, is that basically. Mitch is like, listen, this is what happens sometimes in a relationship is like it doesn't work out and everyone feels sad and you break up and that's the best for everyone. And Hobie says, oh, well, if that's what a relationship is, I don't think I'm ready for one yet. And I was like, yeah, now that's how you write a kid who's emotionally mature, not Mm -hmm, this like mm -hmm. bullshit stuff from the other scene where he just sounds like he's an old man who's. World weary and cynical about relationships, despite despite him having been on three dates with one girl. Like,
1: no, no, I don't know if he's been on three dates. I feel like each episode, in my mind, each episode takes place a decade after the previous (laughs) episode. So he's been dating her for thirty years, more so because this hasn't been three consecutive episodes. Oh yeah, Uh, he's just been dating her for a while. You know, it's just so much has happened. Uh, but our next scene is Eddie gets a call mm-hmm. from Shawnee. Uh, she doesn't say what happens. Yeah. But he's just like, I'll be right there. And then he shows up and she gives him a hug. And then it cuts to commercial.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's very clear when Eddie shows up that Andy's been there and like broke a bunch of shit. Um Right. And yeah, we we only hear Eddie's half of the conversation, but it it's very clear what's going on at this point. Yep. But they decide,
1: you know what we need next? We need the greatest scene.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Ever committed to film. Yes. Let me talk about this scene. Yes. Because I'm I'm the big fan of this scene.
0: I do. I do want to briefly introduce this scene. Yes, because I was impressed how prescient they were about the future, which is that (laughs) Jenny are on the beach and they are observing the six foot social distancing protocols. Um,
1: Yeah, (laughs) Uh, Hobie Hobie walks in, and now Hobie is wearing this just like oversized ninety shirt and Mm -hmm. jeans and very white sneakers. And Jenny's thing is she's always wearing sky blue. Or dark blue. Yeah. Or dark blue and sky blue. But she's very into sky blue. And she's just is like, Here I am walking on the beach, you know, just minding my business. Mm-hmm. And Hobie's like, Here I am walking the same section of the beach, just minding my own business. Oh hey, there's a Jenny. And he's like, Oh, would you looking at would you would you would you look at that? And she's she's like, Oh, shit, it's you. Okay. <laughs> and they just like stare at each other. and She like starts to walk away slowly. And he's like, Hey, wait up. And she's like, Oh, okay, fine. Sure. Sure. Let me, uh, let me talk to you. Uh, and so he apologizes. I'm n- I'm not sure for what, because like, yeah, as, as much as like the scene was a bunch of 60 year olds trying to talk about their feelings, mm-hmm. it was still a boundary and is still just like, yeah. I need my fucking space, yeah. uh, which is him. As a 12 year old trying to explain, like, I just, this isn't working.
0: Yeah. And like, and I, I get it to some extent. Like, you know, you're, you're 12, you're 13. All of your emotions are a lot. This is the first time you've ever dealt with this. Like, you, you feel bad that you hurt the other person's feelings and you apologize. But, um, it was written so badly. yeah and like i at 29
1: i still do this i still do this at 29 so it's like oh yeah you know i get it
0: but watching him do it i'm like you idiot don't do what i do (laughs) yeah Uh, (laughs) you've heard the story of how i drove my ex back to mill creek from seattle at one o'clock in the morning on a weeknight um yes i have Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So I uh, I get Hobie's behavior here. I just wish that uh, this scene was written by competent human beings who had ever met a child before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So he, he asked her things like, well, do you hate me? And she goes, you haven't exactly scored many points. I hope you don't hate me forever. And she's like, yeah, forever. It's going to take some time before I can forgive you. Yeah. And then... We get the coolest kid in history, and his name is Todd with one D. And they never say that. It's just in IMDb.
0: The way I have this written in my notes is Jenny is already seeing a newer, cooler (laughs) 13-year-old. He's the coolest 13-year-old. Let me describe
1: him to you. I actually took a picture here. I, I decided to take a screen cap because I was like, I I I need this in my life. Um, let, me, let me pull this picture up one moment here. <laughs> we'll have this picture in our show notes, by the way. Uh, Todd has on this shirt. There are four patterns on this shirt. There's a number ten. No, there's a yeah. There's a number ten that's turned sideways. Then there's yellow and black checkered. Then there's diagonal from it red and black checkered and then there's a zero with a line above it and that's in big bold black but it's green around it and he has on this purple jacket he has the sleeves rolled up right then he's wearing sun shades Mm -hmm. and then he's got like that vanilla ice hair Uh, it's (laughs) like 17 looks in one oh man and it's the most 90s thing oh my god Uh, but like he just appears and his lines are hey jenny our brother's waiting in the car Let's go. She, she, and he goes, Hobie goes, Where are you guys going? And he goes, Ball game. Later, Hobie. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) He puts his arm around Jenny Mm -hmm. and then walks away and lets go of the arm. And he's just like, walking up this sand. he Okay, so they go behind a brick wall <laughs> to like some shack and next to the shack are these like toxic waste bins <laughs> covered in a tarp for no fucking reason. It's like the dingiest part of the
0: beach. I cannot... I cannot stress enough how fucking dumb this entire scene is. It's, it's We're not done so, with this scene. So, So dumb.
1: <laughs> so Todd is walking away, and he, like, sort of does a glance back. But Jenny puts her hand around the wall and just stares at him in the most, like, titanic, oh, yeah. longing, like, this will be the last time you shall ever see me. Mm-hmm. And then she, like, sort of walks off. Uh, and then the next subtitle is just sad music Uh, (laughs) and like holy shit this song they're not kidding this song is a war movie death
0: dirge yes
1: like a hundred percent and he walks away now single with his head down it is the most comically sad thing i have ever seen in my life not really Mm -hmm. but like he's just like sort of walks away with it. Well, you know, there's other people on the beach, and there's just this music playing, and he's clearly the focus of the shot. And you see the the calmness of the waves and the stillness of the air. And Hobie has now understood what it means to be single. Now that she's with the sex god, lay sex god Todd the One D. He <laughs> shall come back in seven fucking seasons from now. Mm-hmm. I don't know for what, but I made a note for myself. Season eight, episode four is going to be called "The Return of Todd." Uh, <laughs> if we remember by then,
0: this fucking joke, which we may not, because yeah. uh, it's going to be years from now. But when, oh boy, when we release the first episode of season eight, it's the one time you're legally allowed to yell at us on Twitter to make sure that we remember <laughs> to name this. episode. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you're like go return to todd revenge of the todd attack of the todd uh the, the todd awakens every star wars title but it's now todd uh and again this will be in our show notes but like i will encourage everyone to do anything you can with this todd image photoshop <laughs> us onto it make memes of it yes. Oh no make make uh, do anything i just want to see todd content mm-hmm. i am asking for todd content right begging, now please, please. literally begging mm. for todd content i will do a todd podcast i don't fucking know but the, the, yes yes <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a todd pig cast pig cast <laughs> um but we needed that scene because the next scene is okay yeah. another one
0: it's I think this is the best of the scenes in this plotline in terms of not being quite as depressing. Um it's but still it, depressing. It starts with um Eddie and Shawnee um asleep in Shawnee's bed and it's it's played very clear that this is not like oh they just had sex like this is just a Oh no, no. platonic yeah. like You know, they were up and talking about Shawnee's abusive boyfriend and felt Um, like I just I want to stress that it's not that. Um, But Andy comes by and says the line every time I come by to apologize, I keep running into the same people. And that really bothered me because it's it's just Eddie. It's not people. It's it's Eddie. It's one person. Andy, that
1: says more about you and how like she just needs to keep on going to the same emotional support every time you exist. Maybe you should cue into that. Maybe
0: maybe there's people around here
1: because you fucking suck. <laughs> like, yeah. come on, dude.
0: Yeah. Uh but yeah. Shawnee at this point tells Eddie to leave, and he just kinda like waits in the hallway. And Shawnee uh finally so it starts off with Andy joking about how Shawnee needed new dishes anyway, so really, it's okay that he broke everything um which uh to be clear, it's not
1: <laughs> yeah, also he's the ma- he says he's the man to get them because he's so rich basically yeah. uh, and then he he begs her to let him hold her and then says she says no and goes, "Well so how about shopping?" Yeah. Uh, And then he gets really mad and he says, do you want to hear about how embarrassed I am? Is that what you want? And she's like, yeah, that's what I fucking want. I want to hear that you're embarrassed. Duh. You're You're a piece of shit. Yeah. And then he pulls, again, this was a scene that I didn't expect to trigger me, but actually did because he he blames a lot of this stuff on external problems. He's like, Oh, well, like I'm mad or I'm angry because this and this happened. Uh, and he doesn't explicitly say I have no ability to regulate my emotions because I'm not trying hard enough, but that's really what he means. Mm -hmm. Uh, what he's trying to say, uh, and it's super abusive, uh, especially because if you try hard enough, you can absolutely control your emotions. Yeah. Any mental health issues aside,
0: and even if you can't, that doesn't that doesn't mean other people need to like <laughs> be abused by you. Like exactly, that's a that's a you problem if you can't control your emotions well enough to not abuse people. Not a right problem of the people right right right. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, so he
1: he blames all of his actions on all of his external life problems. So like professors, law school, parents, whatever. And this is the moment where uh, I will, because of this moment on, start rating this episode higher like this. I was I had a set rating in my head for this episode and this this everything from here on uh, in this scene actually raised it specifically because her response is no, there will always be something else to blame. And I was like, oh, this Mm -hmm. is the empowerment moment. This is the moment where Shawnee. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's like Shawnee realized in this moment, but Shawnee finally was like, because in when people are in abusive relationships, there is a moment where one if you get if you get out of them, that is if you get out of the abusive relationship and about, out of the abuse cycle, there is a moment where if you are the one who chooses to get out. There is a moment of empowerment. There is a like a specific moment everyone remembers. Totally, where they're like, oh, this is the moment where I had an action that felt powerful. Even if it wasn't that powerful an action, it's like it's the moment that emotionally means something to you. And in this scene, you can tell it's like this is the moment right here when she says there'll always be something, always be something else to blame. It's it's different from when her uh, her before going, no, don't touch me or no, don't do this. It's her actually calling out his abusive behavior. And I was like, I I remember just smiling really hard and being like, yes, like Shawnee, fuck yeah. Like you yeah. tell him, yeah. like tell him the fuck off. Tell him that he is now trying to justify his abusive behavior and you can see through it. Because now that she's empowered, she has you have this magical ability to hear everything they're gonna say and just be like bullshit like you're you're just bullshitting and it all makes sense now now that you've called it out once you can see everything else uh and so i just like i lived through her in that moment and it was reminded of my own moments and so this was a fantastic scene for me
0: yeah i think this particular scene makes up for any complaints i have about the plotline mm-hmm. earlier in its development and i think justifies putting this much writing effort into this plot. Line. Yeah.
1: So he, he then pulls, uh, the, I love you card. Uh, and, and Eddie is listening outside and he hears mm-hmm. this and you can see his eyes bug out, um, at this. Cause he knows like if she like, or he, he, I guess we all kind of know the cycle of this is what's happened before. He says, I love you. He says something. And then the abuse continues. So he says, he'll do anything. And she cries and, and says, it can't happen again. Uh, and so he's like, of course. And then Andy tries to kiss her. And she says, no, I can't let it happen again. And okay. I was like, ooh, that's like a, some yeah. Star Wars shit right there.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's a moment where the writers should have been proud of their writing. Because it very much felt like it was going to go into, I can't let this happen again, is in, I can't let you or like as in she was still kind of taking blame for it and saying like well as long as you don't abuse me again we can get back together but no what she actually meant is like no we're done for real for real and like that was that was a great way of doing
1: again it feels lived in and he says (laughs) he then says you can't stop it (laughs) which is uh Uh so then she says it's over like she ends it which it like who such catharsis and andy the piece of shit that he is blames eddie Uh, and she says it's not yeah it's you and it's never ever going to get better which was again so powerful because she's truly realizing that the cycle is going to continue it's never going to improve you're just going to have these Uh, sinusoidal ups and downs uh, and you're going to love the ups like the relationship is going to be great and then you just have all these downs and you're like Mm -hmm. can I really go through this yo-yoing of my emotions Uh, and we realize that along with her that Andy is pretty fragile and like emotionally because he snarls and then he tells her to go to hell and he just walks out, mm-hmm. uh, and he he doesn't try to contact her again, which is great. Uh, that 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 I mean, if they had some more time with the episode, I would have liked to have seen her handle that because in most abusive relationships they try one last time, which is I know from experience. Yeah. Um, but then she starts crying, yeah. and this is another great part uh, in my mind. Eddie Eddie wants to comfort her. You yeah. can see, but like he has that moment where he's just like. No, no, no. And he thinks better of it. And he gives her space, uh, which I think is actually in in, a, in 1989, like psychology, the idea would have been go in and comfort her, give her a friend. In the 2020 psychology, it's like give, give this person space. And I think like both are, are right and apt. It just depends on, you know, which decade psychology we're thinking yeah. of.
0: I do, I did kind of, in watching this scene, wish that he had at least, like, checked in with her and been like, hey, do you need space or do you want me here? Um, would have been nice. It kind of felt like he just didn't feel like dealing with her emotions. I don't know if I I took took
1: it, like, he didn't want to deal with her emotions. I think that his facial patterns read of, like, oh, I fucked up before, and, like, I get it now. I just, I just, I just need to leave. Uh, but I, I, I could see it both ways. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, it, it's a weird scene to read because it's not anything explicitly stated.
0: Yeah, and especially because we've seen Eddie be so Callous. emotionally, like inconsistent. throughout yeah. this episode. I, I guess. Uh, I, I feel like this scene
1: doesn't commit to the growth that we we're expected to see of these characters. Unless Eddie is giving her space mm-hmm. because he thinks better of it.
0: I I suppose that's fair.
1: Otherwise, the writing becomes maybe unconscionable. I, so I'm going to go with he's giving her space.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I I definitely agree that, like, I don't feel like he's walking away out of malice necessarily. But it did, I don't know, it did feel weird to me that he didn't at least like check if she was okay but they like to do that thing that they do all the time where they mm-hmm. do an abrupt tonal shift yeah they sure do because we cut the blues rock <laughs> biddly, oh biddly, 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 boo. We? we are back to the party boat and mitch and craig are following them on the rescue boat again and craig says Can you believe this boat is going seven days a week? In case you missed the other fucking billion foreshadowing things throughout this episode. Holy shit, do they hammer this point Mm -hmm. hard. And one of the drunk party guests climbs up to where Brian Cranston's driving the boat um, and says, Hey, can't this thing go any faster? This boat's for grandma's, man and brian cranston's like you want fast i'll show you fast so he throws the accelerator open and everyone gets thrown back into their seats and then the oil line finally bursts and now the engine is on fire and somehow the engine being on fire means that a the boat accelerates at full speed and b steering stops working um which i don't think is how engines work They cut to a box that says autopilot and we're just like, yeah. Oh no. Yeah. The autopilot. They don't show any damage to the autopilot. They don't show any damage to anything but the engine. And also like, okay, so let's assume this boat has autopilot, which I don't know enough about boats to say one way or the other. Maybe boats in 1989 did. I I, I don't know. Whatever. Um, But why, like every autopilot on any vehicle plane train Superman or whatever planes trains and automobiles manual input always Mm -hmm. overrides the automatic system like that's just like fucking basic engineering 101 Um, but somehow steering doesn't work anymore so Brian Cranston's trying to
1: well you know you know what else also is engineering 101 that when you take an engine, mm-hmm. the thing that makes things go, you know, and let's say you, you put a puncture in it, right? All that speed, you know, some call it the speed force, mm-hmm. like the flash, you know. <laughs> he gets his powers from the speed force. All that speed force has to escape somewhere. So it just makes it go extra fast. Mm-hmm. So this this power, this power boat, power power dynamics are bad just like power <laughs> skis and power boats uh this power boat is like oh man i all the all the speed is escaping so i gotta condense all that speed in some into some like high
0: mass speed star you know <laughs> <laughs> the, the the what we're you know what we're saying here is that um this boat is kirby and this show is apples i think i don't know i haven't played a kirby game in a while Uh, this boat
1: is a boat i want on kirby air ride yes um yes and what it does is because you know in kirby air ride you you just constantly go Mm -hmm. right but what this boat did is equivalent to in kirby air ride when you get that one but uh, one boat that one star where you hold a yeah. for a super long time and then it just goes like forever uh that's that's the one mm-hmm. uh uh that's what just is that or it's the one where um uh, there's this like a uh, pyramid one where you all you have is go or stop mm-hmm. uh and you're just like constantly going, and then you can only break by stopping and changing your direction. That's what this boat does. I hated
0: that one so much. It was. So I love
1: that one. I love that one because I hated turning. Yeah, that's I, I just hated turning, and I just was like, "Go fast, go fast, <laughs> <laughs> faster for me, Speed Force." Um, so really, what happens is uh, Craig jumps on the boat. He he saves the day. The boat just stops he says some cool stuff to Brian Cranston. Okay.
0: The the various party guests decide to start jumping over the edge, and so Mitch dives off the edge of the rescue boat to go save them, and Craig leaps from the rescue boat onto the party boat to go put out the fire in the engine because he's got a fire extinguisher with with him. Um but he so he runs into the engine room with a fire extinguisher to put out the giant fire. The oil Mm -hmm. fire um, Mm -hmm. and gas fire, which Mm -hmm. last time we saw anything like this, the fucking boat exploded. Um, Poor Al. Well,
1: he didn't die from the explosion. He died from drowning. But poor Al. anyways.
0: But in this case, it turns out he runs in there with the fire extinguisher, doesn't even try and put out the engine. Instead, knows to look at the autopilot and rip a bunch of cables out of it. And then the boat immediately stops because as everyone knows brakes work in the ocean and immediately stop your boat because this whole time they've been like headed full steam towards a bunch of rocks and this boat like this boat stops like Supercar levels of distance. Like, we're talking about. Let
1: me take some science fiction and turn it into science fact (laughs) here. Remember, we talked about the speed force earlier? Well, what happens sometimes is you have the reverse flash. And the reverse flash Mm -hmm. has an opposite power, sort of, to the flash. The flash is like, what if I go faster? And the more I contact the speed force, the faster I get to a near infinite amount of speed. And you see, the speed force also uh, self-polices itself on all matters. There's a speed so they have speed heaven where other speed demons basically live and then they have literal speed demons and there's also speed god because um, you know there's just like speed everything but then there's reverse flash and the reverse flash what he does uh, is well he he also contacts like a mega speed force, but there's a separate <laughs> reverse flash who stops time around him thus a relative to him Time is different. Now you see (laughs) what happened in this scene is the reverse flash Mm -hmm. got there and he was like, I got to stop this boat. Because I want to see Brian Cranston end up in Breaking Bad because he's the villain mm-hmm. and I'm a villain. And us villains all hang out in our rogues gallery, which is the name for the villains in the Flash. Mm-hmm. So he is like, I'm going to stop this boat. So I'm going to take all the speed force and I'm going to get rid of it. So the reverse Flash stops the boat on a dime because in Relativity... The boat looks like it stops immediately, but it's actually just a hard-fought ever effort on the Reverse Flasher. He's just like pushing and making some sort of like NECA Tornado uh, <laughs> or Nega uh, Nega Riptide. I don't know. Nega Riptide is gonna be my my indie wrestling Ooh, that's name. A good one. Uh, I know, right? Uh, so you can you can thank the Reverse Flash for this.
0: And that explanation makes uh, about as much sense as this boat stopping in time.
1: That was the point.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Once the boat stops, Craig climbs his way out of the engine compartment and tells Ted Logan, maybe we won't have to follow you around anymore. Ted, your first problem was that you were a Ted and
1: not a Todd.
0: (laughs) True, true. (laughs) Always be a Todd
1: when you can be a Todd. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, next we've got our final scene, which is Eddie and Shawnee talking at a tower, and Shawnee's upset about how Eddie abandoned her, which is fair, um, Mm -hmm. and Shawnee says, I spent a lot of time thinking, and Eddie says, breaking up is hard to do. (sighs) do I mean... How, yeah, we,
1: we should have right, right before right before right before that it was that eddie explains absence it was like mm-hmm. i didn't feel it was my my place and that you needed space which is again part of the reason why i'm like i think he just thought better of of going to comfort her it was like I, I i just i thought you needed your space and yeah like it wasn't explicitly stated please come and you know emotionally comfort me um that stuff isn't always clear like Emotional relationships are hard like that. Uh, But uh, I can see why from both ends why she'd be mad and whatever. But please deliver what happens next to me. Yes.
0: There is this whole scene is so overacted. Um, Mm. It's oh, man, it really hurts to watch. It's so bad. Um, They just they're all playing like soap opera levels of melodrama in this scene. But. Shawnee is basically confessing her love for Eddie and says something about how I've been thinking about how you're a good friend and kind of cute. And Eddie goes, hey, whoa, 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 you
1: ruined, you completely ruined the delivery. Oh, go me. ahead. Be my guest. Which is, she, so what happens uh, is she says, I've been thinking a lot. And he goes, Yeah, breakups are hard to do. And she goes, About specifically, you. Specifically, he, he says, goes,
0: Breaking up is hard to do. Break it up as which as it bothered did. me because it's a fucking like reference to a song from what is it the 50s 60s like really yes.
1: and she says about you and he goes uh and he does like the classic uh w- w- me mm-hmm. shuffle he goes uh, uh okay uh it's like that classic like guy in a mullet uh gif who's just like the fuck mm-hmm. uh it's basically that um and she goes i I want to thank you. I never would have made made it through this without you, and you're a good friend. And he he start he's smiling, and now she is like perched over um, the balcony, and they're not facing each other at all. Uh, so it's, it's like a shy and awkward scene. Mm-hmm. And then she um, she tucks her hair behind her ear, and she goes, "You're cute too." And it's 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 done like kind of cutesy and awkwardly in the way that it's just like sure. yeah it's probably what would happen to me in real life sure but like I don't want that in my television show necessarily and so then he decides to take a card from Hobie the Hopester, the Hobeman and pulls an Alpha Chad and he says cute I hate the word cute and she's just like my dude, I just <laughs> gave you a lead-in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fuck. And then he goes, But synonyms are okay. And she's like oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Bazinga. <laughs> oh. End of episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it it like he says that they half turn towards each other and the episode's over. Like yeah. oh
1: God. So this is our lead-in into their relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh
0: yeah, there's a lot of Complicated thoughts on that. Yeah. Uh, what are your uh, What are your overarching thoughts on this particular episode? I like this episode. Uh,
1: in some regards, it's my favorite episode so far. In some regards, it's not. I think it's my favorite episode in terms of like I was I was very emotionally invested invested in this, uh, uh, and not just because it was. Ooh, good television. But because I'm like, uh, I have an emotional investment in the themes cause I relate to them. Uh, not, not like the physical abuse, but the emotional abuse sure. and knowing that there is this apparent theme of like strong female characters. I was excited to see what happens here. And I wasn't disappointed with the end result because for her to come out of the abuse in the way she did and end the relationship was it's it's breaking up is hard to do um, <laughs> and uh she was exceptionally powerful in that moment, and i like in the t v show it doesn't seem like that strong it seems like turn of a dime and it seems uh uh kind of lazy but that's because tv shows don't necessarily depict abuse like real life yeah a lot of the time they depict tv they depict abuse in tv shows like a tv show but that's that's just not how it works yeah and these things happen where you just have a moment sometimes and not even in abusive relationships alone but where just something changes and something makes sense or you're like i i can't fucking take this anymore totally And and she had that moment and that was her just saying there will always be something else to blame. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was, as I, as I said before, like that moment alone raised my rating for this episode.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that it's tricky to do in a TV show, and I don't think this necessarily a hundred percent nailed it, but I think it did a surprisingly good job to to back up a lot of what you're saying, is that it's it's hard to show how often abuse like this kind of evolves over time. Like it doesn't it doesn't start off that way necessarily. Like it right. often starts from this what looks like a very like healthy relationship and then Mm -hmm. as the person you know i don't i don't want to speculate on the inner lives of abusers because like i you know just not something i have experience with so i don't want to try and do that but like as as they get more comfortable with their target or or whatever it is but it usually develops much more so over time rather than like this episode kind of has to rush it because again, it's, it's one of three plots in a 47 minute episode of TV. Like,
1: and it, it didn't need three plots. Like, yeah, you could have taken one of the extra plots out. Yes. I mean, you can't take the Todd scene out. That is essential <laughs> canon to my life now. Uh but you could take the other stuff out. and uh, I mean, you could have fleshed out the abuse more, but I wouldn't have enjoyed watching that. Yeah. Because ah, I, 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 don't get me wrong, I like this, but I don't like watching abuse yeah. like that. That's horrible, and it's a it's a tricky line to walk for sure. I and I think they actually somehow somehow Baywatch yeah. hit that line really well. Uh, and like it, you know, it honestly kind of worries me that. This show, what we're thinking of as like every person we talked to about this show is like, oh, you mean the show with all the big boobs in slow motion? I'm like, yeah, that show. And it worries me that somehow behind all that, there's also this stuff uh, because I feel like it's not recognized. And Mm -hmm. that if this was the stuff that got more attention, I would wonder if the state of entertainment would have had a more nuanced not maybe not nuanced, but complex view of abuse yeah totally i think i don't think it lives and not to say it baywatch is the determining factor for sure. the state of future entertainment but that television in general has so much ruined what abuse looks like and yeah, there's been, a like, I, I've i been watching a lot of Jane the Virgin and I've been stuck not wanting to watch the final episode and I've been stuck for weeks mm-hmm. being like, I don't, I can't let this end. Uh, and it's episode 100. It's the final episode. And part of, I, I love Jane the Virgin. It's an amazing story and talks a lot about abuse, but also has to deal with the fact that, every male in the show is an abuser. Mm -hmm. Uh, It kind of addresses it by being like, well, they're abusers who also love and get forgiveness, but they keep on fucking up. And our main character is like in love with them. And they eventually redeem themselves. And like abuse is complicated like that. Uh, But we still have this issue where in TV and I guess in life, abusers can get the second chances Mm -hmm. and then fuck up again and then fuck up and then abuse and so on and so forth. But they have a redeeming moment. Uh, and yeah, like there's other examples of this, but I appreciate the fact that we didn't get a redeeming moment. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Eddie though, gets the redeeming moment and I don't like that, Yeah, but I also like to think that Eddie isn't a great character cause here's a spoiler. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh eddie is in the show for a few seasons or whatever and he comes back a little bit much much later in the series uh and we find out that he's back but erica aleniak is not back Ooh. in my mind that at least makes it a little bit okay that they did not that they don't work out mm-hmm. to a degree Uh, because it justifies my ability to say that she got out of potentially another abusive relationship. And yeah, she's, she maybe is stuck going from abuser to abuser. I don't know how this show is going to do it, but that he isn't justified in the end is ultimately being a good abuser, like a hero. Like he doesn't fully get the happy ending um, because you know, like they're not together forever. Uh, And at least that makes me feel better about it.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely curious to see how, all of that plays out when we get to that spot oh that's gonna be like i think that's
1: why todd comes back or something oh, okay. it's like <laughs> not really because they're not at all related sure. characters but it's like it's like season eight or some shit It's just like really later oh no there's like a reunion movie i think i think it's one of like the post-show <laughs> reunion movies oh, okay. where they're like it's like something in glacial bay or whatever the fuck it is i don't mm-hmm. know um but morgan what are your thoughts
0: yeah, I mean, I think, I think my general kind of take on this episode is that I do think it was really well written and I do agree with, with a lot of what you said, especially with regards to it being really interesting to see this, what felt like very realistic depiction of abuse. Um, and I think the fact that this didn't become a more mainstream portrayal of how abuse functions in reality it could arguably in a lot of ways be attributed to how this show later became a show that was like oh this is a show for women and our society doesn't take those kind of shows seriously which sucks um and so well,
1: we think we think it becomes a show for women we don't have proof of that yeah
0: yet. but from from what you've said about the demographics later in the series like it yeah. definitely seems to have shifted in that direction. And I think that that's probably in some part why a lot of the perception of the show is just like, oh, it's slow motion, attractive people jiggling and running down the beach. Because um, that was I mean, that was my entire impression of this show coming into it. Um And I think it's been really interesting to see how how this show deals with some more complex topics and it's not always a hit, but I think this was much more of a hit than I've seen from other episodes in the past of managing Mm -hmm. to be sensitive towards this, you know, very serious, very potentially towards this issue that could potentially be so easy to portray poorly and to, really just make almost a mockery of as has been done in so many other pieces of media or to have the show's point of view in some way blame Shawnee, which I I don't feel like it does for the most part. It does a little bit by virtue of kind of spending a lot of this show propping up Eddie as being a good character and then he treats her like shit, which sucks. Um, And again, I... Reiterate my point from earlier in this episode that I wish they could have taken this level of writing and production value and casting and all of that and put it towards like a story that doesn't inevitably end up portraying the abuse of women. Like, yes, it's well done, but how many of those stories do we really need? Like, maybe we could have had a story that people actually have a happy ending in, but. I do think if they were going to do it, this was a reasonably well done implementation of it, especially, again, for this relatively unknown show at the time in its first season in 1989 about lifeguards. Like, yeah, Uh, before
1: before I ask my next question, mm -hmm. uh, I also want to add that if remember that this show gets canceled after the first season and one of the rules and conditions is no violence to women or children. Right. I don't know what that specifically means or entails. I don't know what that means that this counts as, I mean, it's literally violence against women, but I don't know if in like in NBC standards, this is violence yeah. against women, but I wonder if, it does do that where it says, I don't know how many more of these we really need. Uh, because like, you know, we get like cancer stuff, we get drug stuff, we get whatever. I don't know. I, I don't know. I haven't seen the show. I don't know what it entails. Yeah, um, so my next question is the I think the most important part of this episode is Andy. Now this episode would not have been, to the quality of what it is without Stephen Eckholt's acting. And I think he knocks it out of the park as an abuser, uh, which is like never a great role to play (laughs) in your resume, but like it shows his acting chops. Yeah. Uh, What are your thoughts on the way he is portrayed rather than Shawnee or Eddie?
0: Yeah, I think, I think he's written very well, and I think I think the acting performance is probably the best in the episode, honestly mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it's disappointing to me that they cast this really good actor as this one-off villain instead of being able to give him some more potential to be on the show more and to have more of these moments because he I mean. And again, maybe he's only a good actor as a villain, but, like, he, he had some moments that he felt a solid level above everyone else in the scene a lot of the time in terms of his acting ability.
1: Yeah, and being a being a villain actor isn't a bad thing. No. Uh, I mean...
0: It just means we won't see him again, which sucks. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, if we take it down to the core... Of baby face and heel because you know me I I like to insert wrestling into our Baywatch podcast Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is that the whole point of a villain is to uh, a protagonist draws out emotion from from the viewer but if your main emotional catharsis is supposed to be done through the heroic actions of, of the protagonist that's great but you cannot have that be without them interacting with the antagonist. Right. Your protagonist's catharsis only exists because they've had the negative interactions with the antagonist. The heel, the villain, whatever you want to call it, exists there to draw easier emotion from you. It's easier to upset you than it is to make you feel this impassioned catharsis or bias towards someone. We wouldn't have the emotional outpour of Shani realizing that she is in an abusive relationship and can escape the cycle if he wasn't so efficient at creating the cycle.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You got to you got to have something for your protagonist to be able to play off of. And I I think he does an excellent job as that antagonist for them to play off of. Agreed. And
1: that's why when I started this episode or when I Ratch, actually I finished the episode, I messaged you that I had that I was like, this episode could easily be a nine out of ten or a 2 out of 10, depending on how it goes. <laughs> and I was really worried midway through the episode it was going to be a 2 out of 10. Yeah. Uh,
0: oh, yeah.
1: And it didn't do that. And, like, I know we're uh, – part of the problem is we can speak to this to a degree, but it's also, like, you know, two white men, you know, talking about – sure. It doesn't even matter that we're white, but it's just two men talking about the abuse of a woman. Uh, It's not necessarily our forte, uh, but I think we both felt something from that. We were not expecting to feel from that. And that just speaks to the quality of the writing uh, in this episode. So with that in mind, Morgan, on a scale of one to ten, where one is you walking on a muddy beach and (laughs) under each... Each little step is a wooden branch just digging into your foot, just causing little cuts and sores. Uh, And 10 is uh, sniffing Mitch's abs. Uh, Where would you rate this episode?
0: So I got to say, I think I came into this episode with a lower rating than where I'm going to end up. I think our discussion has actually brought me up a little bit. Tell me about that. I, I'm i trying to even articulate exactly what it was, but I think it was just really like living in this world and being like, oh yeah, this is actually pretty novel for its time and unfortunately even for now. Um, mm-hmm. And also just trying to think back to the other episodes we've seen and A, worrying that I've rated the rest of them too high. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nah,
1: no, no, su- no such thing. I mean, there's di- different strokes for different yolks. Mm-hmm. That's not a real it sentence. So, okay. <laughs> no, okay. Continue.
0: Um, but I think, I think I'm going to give this about a nine. And I would define a nine as being the new boyfriend with the cool shades who comes in. God damn it. You
1: took it from me
0: to a ball game. God damn
1: it. <laughs> damn it. Oh,
0: you stole the Todd from me. The Todd was supposed to be my guy, my thing. We can oh. both have a Todd based rating system. How about you? What's your, what's your, rating? <laughs> my rating is Todd. Todd. Uh, uh,
1: I, for the first time, I think we have the same exact rating. Uh, which is a nine. Uh, The reasons I don't give it a 10 are pretty much everything else in the episode. Mm -hmm. I don't think the Brian Granson stuff is bad. It's like it It, it exists. It's fine. It exists. Uh, And the Hobie Jenny stuff, like I, I find it funny and entertaining. Uh, And I, I'm here for funny and entertaining. I don't, I'm not here in Baywatch watching Baywatch for the serious good television i'm here for everything else so that was to be expected i budgeted you know like half a point here you know here for Mm -hmm. that um yeah i would say it's a nine out of ten i think i i still don't know if this is the best episode you know what screw it this is the best episode we've watched uh because it's the one that made me care the most yeah and i already care but this is the one where i'm legitimately and like this episode of this podcast also is going to be one where i'm like Watch this, Uh listen to this. Like, this is, uh, I don't want to overhype the importance of an old TV show, (laughs) but like, this is an important episode of television um, because it depicts violence and abuse in a way that you don't get to see uh, as often. And I appreciate it for that. And I appreciate the way in which, maybe it's because I've watched a bunch of episodes now but I appreciate the emotions it brought up. So a nine, a nine, I would have to, well, you know, of course a nine is a Todd, uh, <laughs> but a 10 is a Todd with glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, as we all know. Yeah. Uh, uh, as we all know, um, I would say a nine is that feeling of knowing that maybe sometimes you're just not ready for a relationship Which, by the way, I think it's actually interesting that both Hobie and Shawnee's stories are about relationships, and they're both in very different ways about empowering them.
0: Oh, yeah. No, there was definitely some storytelling parallels between the two of them. I like to think that it's like
1: will schwartz was like i'm gonna write the hobie one and jill was like i'm gonna write the shawnee one (laughs) and it's like good come back tomorrow to this cafe and i'll show you what i've got and she's like so andy punches her he's like dude what the fuck i just wrote this guy named todd he's the coolest guy ever (laughs) she's like oh that's much better can we switch and he's like no it's my todd um uh, but there are parallels in terms of empowering them uh yeah and both are important. Like, like, let's not get it wrong here. Like, in the dating world, like, holy cow, knowing when to just say I can't is important. But also knowing when when to say this is too much or this is not right or I, I can't be a part of this is also very important. Uh, there's no parallels to the Brian Cranston scene other than make sure you don't fuck with the speed force, I guess. But, <laughs> like... I think this is a great episode of television. I I am glad it talked about abuse. I kind of yeah. hope we had that and get it out of the way. As much as I enjoy talking about good television, I don't necessarily enjoy talking about abuse every, you know,
0: every every week. Yeah. I'm hoping next episode is a little bit lighter. <laughs> Which I think
1: Morgan, it's a great time for us to go into the plot description of next week's episode.
0: Ooh, yeah, be my guest.
1: So our next episode is called "The Cretin of the Shallows," um, which okay, great name. Uh, it's also another William Schwartz vehicle, but this time him and Ernie Walgren uh, or Wallengren, who I think wrote uh, "Heat Wave." I think um, I'm not completely sure, but here is the plot description. Shawnee finds herself strongly adored on the beach. A ser- a scary masked serial killer. What? Popularly called... <coughs> Let me restart that. A scary masked serial killer, popularly called the Night Puncher, <laughs> <laughs> roams the beach at night and targets a local senator. Now, if you thought that wasn't crazy enough...
2: Oh, boy.
1: Motherly Gina takes care of Eddie after he gets his wisdom teeth pulled, which makes him have an Oedipal wet dream. (laughs) (laughs) No! Yes. What? Yes. This episode has got to have... Oh, my God. God. Like, it's it's just got to have everything in it in my mind. Like, there's no way this isn't, like, the greatest episode in the history of... I don't know ever maybe like it sounds it sounds very very good I am super excited for it it also has uh an actress who like I'm just gonna say this now like it doesn't mean much to you probably because you um I don't think you watched Boy Meets World did you watch Boy Meets World
0: nope never seen that
1: okay so this is just gonna get anybody else hyped Uh, It has the main character from Boy Meets World's mom in it, and she was in 158 episodes of Boy Meets World. So she's in, you know, a lot of stuff, Uh, but she's in the next episode. And that gives me some 90s hype feelings. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, like, oh, my God, like that's just the IMDb description, just like seeing you the know, the first thing I see on the page is this picture of the night puncher, the word <laughs> night puncher, and then the words <laughs> Oedipal wet dream. And I was like, the, this is a huge tonal shift. Holy cow. Oh boy. William Schwartz is just like, hey, Jill, I know you're writing this episode about, you know, a slapping, uh, but have <laughs> I got something for you? What if it's punching, but in the night? And she's like, I'm going to not do that one. And he's yeah. like, okay.
0: I understand why.
1: Yeah. Uh, but uh, with that in mind, I just want to reiterate one more time, everybody. Like, We appreciate the fact that you were saying and willing to listen to us talk about abuse for a while. It's a very complex subject, and we're trying very hard to talk about it in a way that's mature uh, and nuanced and especially from like a place of experience while also also still trying to like have some humor because it's not exceptionally funny. There are funny moments in it, but Mm -hmm. like the overall plot of the episode is exceptionally serious. Um, And like, if you are in an abusive relationship, uh, like please reach out to your support systems. If you ever are in a relationship where you feel like you are lesser or you are um, being taken advantage of, like please reach out to those who are close to you. Like one of the things you'll, I hope, realize is that the people around you care far more than you might actually think. Mm -hmm. And people genuinely will want to help you. There's a reason they're in your life. And so take advantage of that. And like, because people will come and they'll rise up and they will help you out uh, just like they've done for me and for many other people. Yeah. So please, like, you know, serious topic, but thank you for, for listening to us talk about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I want to thank you all so much for listening to this very heavy episode of Baywatch Rookie School. If you want to find us on Twitter, our show handle is at Pod. I'm at Morgan P. Thrapp.
1: I normally am at at snot s-n-o-t s-n-i-t but I think I'm going to open up a new Twitter account at Todd with one d uh, <laughs> and it's just going to be cool pictures of my shades uh and this awesome picture of Todd
0: I screen capped hell yeah maybe we can even get Nintendo to retweet this cool picture of Todd
1: <laughs>
0: but wearing underwear <laughs> but we'll see you next week and just remember, hips, lips, and fingertips. That just seems wrong this time. <laughs> I know. I almost thought about not doing it. Not gonna lie, but I thought but about what if it. I could make a night puncher joke instead, and then I didn't.
1: oh well. <laughs> the the joke of the night puncher is that he's called the night puncher. So, yeah. and just wait till you see the picture. Anyways, folks, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>